Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Welcome to the Colton Collective Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Dave AC and the Sixth Doctor. AC in charge of the Cotton Collective once again. Hopefully there will be a few deliberate mistakes. We try and keep them to a minimum. And for one week only, I've got my own short little in- intro. Here we go. Will you still need me? Will you still feed me? When I'm 64. <laughs> that's for tomorrow. <laughs> uh, that, that's my excuse. I'm sticking to it. So, uh, welcome everybody to the Cultural Collective podcast, episode 73. Uh, we're going to be talking in about uh, 20 minutes or so about the Sarah Jane Adventures Series 4. We're going to do our review as it's just come to the end of its run here in the UK. And um, if you are interested in all the news and bits and pieces and you are just basically a Sarah Jane fan, then we might forgive you if you want to just fast forward if listening to the recording later, uh, about 20 minutes. But don't hold me to that, because once our little group get going, um, it's sometimes difficult to shut them up. But we love it. Okay, let's uh, introduce those in the room that are Mike and on my screen in order that they show, Mr. T. Jury. Hi, Tim. Difficult to shut this up, Dave. Sounds like sick and I last night. Anyway, more of that later. <laughs> uh, and you've got uh, Mr. Graham, the second Doctor Sheridan. Well, at least one Doctor's going to turn up to this show, if not the other. Good evening, I, Dave. I think he's avoiding you. I definitely do think that. <laughs> uh, uh, also, welcome into the room, Mr. Charlie P79. I'm very easy to set up. Just stick me in a corner and I'll be quiet. Yeah. Just throw him a few five points every now and again. Yeah. And uh, speaking of five points, let's go to Mr. R- Mike Randall Thor. Hello, hello. How are you? Fine, fine. Unfortunately, we missed the quiz night on Friday. It took a little rest, but uh, we're hoping to have it back next Friday, I hope. Yes, it will be back this coming Friday after Thanksgiving. Talk show ID 72402 at 9.30 p.m. Friday night. <laughs> and we've got one of our long-time cult and collective members who's not been able to grace our doors for some time due to the fact that she prefers to stay in bed and sleep. It's Romana too. Hello, boys. 
Yeah, sleep is good. I've been <laughs> trying to retract my um, sleeping habits because I've become nocturnal in the last couple of months. And I, you know, can't, can't, can't do that all the time. So, yeah. But yeah, I'm here for, the, for one night only. Well, very welcome return it is. <laughs> it's like having Rose back in the room. Oh, don't compare me to Rose. I meant in terms of you being blocked across in a different universe and now our two universes are merging and you're welcome back. And I'll move oh, on before okay. I get into trouble. <laughs> that helps your mana too as well, Dave. Don't forget, Warrior's Gate. Ah, see? <laughs> I used the wrong reference. The meaning was there... Oh. Uh, also on mic is Mr. Darth Skeptical. Hello, Dave. Hiya, and uh, welcome to the show. And as I now welcome the people under the cone of silence. Control, new agent training program, section 3.5, the cone of silence. To activate, simply lower the cone and speak clearly. What? Do not overuse the cone of silence. What? Do not shout in the cone of silence. What? In fact, don't even use the cone of silence. What? It's never worked right. I don't know why we bought it in the first place. The portable cone of silence. What? And we've got some sneaky people here, because Scardis has just come on to Mike during the cone. He just sort of crept up before the lid hit the floor. Hi, Scardis. Good evening, everybody. (laughs) Well done. You just about made it in there before the, the resounding thud of the... Cone of silence dropped over you. Uh, well, unfortunately, at the moment, Mr. Benjamin Elliott is under the cone of silence. Hopefully, he may be able to restore uh, his audio and sort out before we get to the end of the uh, news section. Uh, for those of people who don't know, and I can't believe there are many, uh, Benjamin Elliott does the This Week in Doctor Who guy, guide and um, always is a mine of wonderful information about what's going on in the world of Doctor Who in terms of TV transmissions. So, welcome to the show. Hope you get on mic. And we also got uh, Cybob and Guest 10 uh, under the cone. Okay, we're and going to kick Berlin. off. Did I not mention Merlin first? You did mention Merlin. There you are. Mistake number one. Chalk it up. You got to tell Ian. You got to tell Ian. I, I point. I, I, I can see he's going to get a secret report. How did Dave do? Well, he messed it up again. Never mind. <laughs> Keeps Never mind. Words. Keeps you on your toes. Keeps you on your toes. <laughs> Let's go straight to the news. And Graham, you're on, so I'm going to be listening very carefully, just in case you make a fluff of it. <laughs> well, if the host of the show can make a fluff, why can't I? But I'll try my best not to. So. I'll only do two pieces so everybody else has a bit to do because there's an absolute ton of news, not only in Doctor Who, but across the whole cult sort of area of things. But my two pieces are Doctor Who bits of news. First of all, Matt Smith made an appearance on a TV uh, show with uh, Craig Ferguson, the uh, late, late night show um, earlier this week. Uh, where it was about for about 14 minutes, and um, they had a bit of a laugh with it, and it was a pretty good uh, piece there. But the Daily Mail, the um, idiots or idiots uh, as as they are, uh, picked up on the on a bit that was actually done in a bit of fun there, and made it to a um, sort of a head title uh, in the paper, which was yeah, typical Daily Mail sort of stuff. So. Next bit after this is 
the trailer for the Christmas special, which will be called A Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. Original title, we think not. Uh, you think you'll bit to it. But uh, the trailer went out on um, Friday uh, to the Children and Need special. Now, simultaneously across the channel, BBC America uh, put it on the website as soon as it had been shown. So you can watch the trailer quite happily on both sides of the channel without any problems, either on BBC America uh, or uh, somewhere I think it should be on the Doctor Who website. Or if you can't find it on any of those places, go to the Gallifreyan Embassy at uh, thegallifreyanembassy.org and the trailer and the 14-minute uh, um, piece with Matt Smith on the uh, Craig Ferguson show is also there, too. So that's... Uh, well, it's yep. not my news for now. I'm going to leave the other bit about the Christmas special to one of the other guys in the room here. Yeah, Benjamin's just dropped out at the moment, but hopefully he will be back. But um, thanks for that. We'll go uh, to Charlie P and then Tim. Charlie? Well, um, my news is that it just—it uh, just saw yesterday that um, uh, Steven Spielberg uh, it was in plans of making a um, Abraham Lincoln biopic based on Doris Kearns Goodwin, Doris Kearns Goodwin's book uh, *Team of Rivals*, which my brother has because I gave it to him as a gift. Um, Liam Neeson, you know, has been attached to that role for—it seems like a very long time—but now it's. Um, Two-time Academy Award winner Daniel Day-Lewis is going to be playing the 16th president of these United States, and filming should be starting around autumn of next year. So, should be a good one, hopefully. Excellent, excellent. Okay, and just before we go to uh, Tim Merlin, has put um, for that Craig Ferguson. Uh, his Twitter name is. Craig Y. Ferg. I think I've pronounced that correctly. Okay, uh, let's go to Tim. Well, just a couple of bits of news from me, Dave. Um, Karen Gillan uh, has got another acting role that's been announced. It's uh, also time travel related. Uh, it's from Total Sci-Fi Online. It says, Fear not, Tuvians. You can take the girl out of the TARDIS, but you can't take the time traveller out of the assistant. According to Deadline Hollywood, Gillan will play snarky New Jersey high schooler who wakes up stranded in mythical 13th century Verona uh, in a Romeo and Juliet uh, thing, uh, Romeo and Brittany. So the, the latest uh, latest in the twist on remaking the classics, that, I guess. I'll put the link for that in the uh, chat for people. And uh, also from Total Sci-Fi Online... Uh, this on uh, the uh, the thing, the thing creeps back into the shadows. Will Ronald D. Moore pen prequel to uh, John Carpenter's remake of the new Wolfman? Uh, Benicio del Toro's furry remake was the last Universal horror outing to get shunted around the schedules. In that case, disappearing for nearly a year. But this looks to be more clinical receipts-driven movie making way for Fast Five, the latest in the Fast and Furious franchise. It's something to do with um, this uh, thing-related movie being um, delayed. So whether it's coming out this year or next, it's a bit unclear having scanned through the story, though. 
So right. ho- hopefully some somewhere else on the internet will have some further news on that. But um, a quick mention of the second live meetup, Dave. Uh, well, can we do that after the news? Because there's something else that's oh, been okay. delayed. Something else been delayed. Yeah. Go, Tuppy Monkey, go! Yeah, I didn't throw him a banana at the right time. <laughs> <laughs> Mike! Keep me a counter now. That's mistake number two. Yeah, yeah keep Sorry, count, Dave. keep count. It's all right. Uh, keep people interested, <laughs> I hope. Should be clear selling from here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mike, are you okay with your audio? And can you go? Yes. Yes, I am. Well, my my news item isn't news as such, but it's just a, a reminder that the Desert Bus Marathon is still going on. It's uh, For those who don't know anything about it, it's this comedy group up in Canada known as Loading Ready Run, and they're playing the most boring video game ever to not actually be released to raise money for the Child's Play charity, which uh, buys video games and toys for kids in hospitals. And they're about 40, 41 hours into it, and the more money they raise, the more hours they have to drive. Right now, they have to drive for a total of 118 hours. But the whole desert bus game is basically you drive a bus from Tucson, Arizona to Las Vegas, Nevada, along a straight, featureless road, no traffic, and the bus slightly veers to the right. So you have to keep tapping left on the controller. And that's the entire game. <laughs> you get, And once you make it to the end of the eight-hour drive, you get one point. And then you get to drive back for another point. <laughs> and that's Somebody going on right now. Somebody considered releasing that. <laughs> it was never released. The story, the quick story behind that is that back in the '90s, Penn and Teller were going to put put together a collection of mini games, and that was on it, and it was never released. <laughs> Penn and Teller's Smoke and Mirrors for the Sega CD never released. <laughs> but yeah, that's that. Now just drop the URL and and chat. <laughs> it's it, if if they if it was just watching them play the game, it would be horrible and boring. But they get up to all sorts of shenanigans, and people can donate to donate and have them complete different challenges, like sing different songs and act out different skits. Last night they were acting out a scene from the Twilight movie, which was rather funny. <laughs> yeah, that's that. I take it they haven't got around to singing the wheels of the bus go round and round yet. <laughs> no, they haven't, as far as I know. But okay. I did. I was awake about at about three in the morning last night listening to it, and uh, Penn Gillette actually called in, so that was rather cool. Okay, thanks for that. <laughs> um, I was going to go next, but uh, Scardis has uh, got one piece of news that they want to mention. Scardis. Yeah, um, I'm sure some mostly would. Uh, well, some of you might be interested in the Harry Potter movies. And Variety is reporting that the midnight box office results for Deathly Hallows Part 1 are $24 million. Warner Brothers kicked off what likely will be their, quote, a boffo opening weekend for Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1, launching the film at 3,700 midnight runs for a late night take of $24 million. This picture is screened at a record setting 238 United States domestic IMAX screenings, contributing $1.4 million, which surpassed the company's previous $1 million midnight record holder, the Twilight Saga Eclipse. Overall, Hallows has fell short of catching Eclipse's $30 million late-night record, though that film benefited from a more rabid young femme demo and a shorter runtime, as well as a less restrictive summer berth. 
Horners will screen Deathly Hallows this weekend at 4,125 United States locations. Okay, thank you for that. Right, I'll just go with a, a couple of items before we uh, finish with Darth, and that is, um, these are from the um, the Gallifrey News Base, blogspot.com. One is that um, uh, on their thing on the 21st of November, they've put um, a book featuring the 2,000 biographical and thematic thematic quotations about Doctor Who to be published next month. The quotable Doctor Who, Volume One, will cover quotes from all eleven doctors, all eleven actors to play the Doctor, um, and uh, the book is by Catherine A. Davis and Colin M. Jarman, uh, to be published on the seventh of December, two thousand and ten. Uh, the price eleven pound twenty four in UK money, and. Uh, are direct from uh, Amazon are blue-eyed books. And there's lots of other little pieces of news there as well, um, in, including, um, well, uh, I, yes, uh, if you have used Seesaw, I'm not too sure whether that's just available in the UK. It's a sort of uh, video online uh, database. Um, they're offering yeah, a chance for fans to see. Is it just in the UK, is it? UK only, Dave. Um, it's very much like most of these video services, like Blinkbox. Um, there's several others. There's, um, Microsoft uh, networks uh, have got their own video services. It's all the same. It's it's all UK locked. Okay. Well, we do have UK listeners, so let me very quickly brief it that um, they're offering a chance for fans to vote for the entire second series of Doctor Who to be made available to rent for only 99p. Uh, David Tennant's first season of The Doctor is uh, in competition with Lost, Life on Mars, and Only Fools and Horses. The show with the most Facebook likes by Monday the 22nd of November, 9am, will be available to rent on Tuesday after for 99p. And then you will have up to 90 days to watch the series. So that's uh, the website Seesaw. Okay, and uh, we'll go to uh, Darth see if there's uh, anything that slipped through the net on those news items. Um, well, one little thing that's sort of a rider to the uh, Craig Ferguson deal is that, of course, it wasn't just, you know, the, the one night, actually. I mean, yes, that was, uh, it was only on Tuesday, I guess, the 16th, that um, Matt Smith was in the studio, but he was doing sort of a little gag with a Dalek the night before and sort of made it into a big Doctor Who night. I mean, originally, I, I don't think that this that most fans were expecting that Matt Smith was going to be the first guest on the show. Uh, I think it was advertised, if I'm not mistaken, for a long time as being Jeff Goldblum being the yeah. person. And it got switched around and made into this whole big uh, uh, Doctor Who night thing and, and there was some preceding stuff on it. And there's some um, residual stuff coming too. Tomorrow, um, there is probably going to be the release of uh, an episode of the podcast known as The Nerdist. It's a, a podcast that's run by a guy named Chris Hardwick, and it's a professional podcast where he gets people on who are famous, like his last one was with Kevin Pollack, who's a pretty big director. Um, and we should see, therefore, some, some Matt Smith interview direct with this guy. There was a little bit of a um, – uh, Chris Hardwick was actually on the show. Um, if you saw any clips from it, he's the guy who's dressed up in the um, 
Tom Baker scarf that comes out late in the interview. Um, so that's something to look out for, and that's going to be available on iTunes. Uh, we also, this week, moving away from Doctor Who, had a uh, stunning little uh, preview of Green Lantern, which is probably best and easiest accessible from simply going to greenlantern.com. That will eventually refer you to the right place and boom, it'll just start playing the um, the trailer. And it's a, you know, fairly impressive I, thing. I saw it looked, uh, it looked excellent, actually, to my mind. Yeah, I mean, definitely you can tell just from the little bit that, that's there that they're sort of screwing around with the character of Hal Jordan, kind of. Um, that's not necessarily a bad thing. They're just making him into slightly more of an anti-hero. Hal Jordan, of course, originally in the comic books would have, was very much a, you know, lantern-jawed, um, you know, straight ahead kind of hero of the the space age in America. Uh, you know, very much from the 1960s school where everybody who was in the air force was good and right and proper. Uh, and that's definitely not what this guy is at all. He's much more, I, I guess, Tom Cruise, top gun kind of guy. Um, but that's not, again, that's not necessarily a bad thing. We all have to make updates to, you know, a 50 year old myth. It's fine. Uh, and, and it definitely, in terms of, you know, how the graphics look, how the, the little hint that you get of the power of the actual ring, um, it does look like it's going to be at least a very fun ride, if if not terribly accurate to the or faithful to the comic books. But um, that it certainly is available. It's certainly easy to get to. Just go to GreenLantern.com. And then so another, sorry. Very simple, so, so the Iron Man sort of uh, thing is the first Iron Man film came out really, it's sort of an update. <laughs> There is definitely, you know, a Playboy kind of vibe about him um, that is not really a part of the Hal Jordan character originally. But again, who knows? We'll have to see how it plays. It looks stunning, so that's that's something good. Go Graham, are you, are you inferring that because of the success of the two Iron Man movies, they might have tweaked a bit with the story, you mean? Yeah, um, and the thing with the first Iron Man um, film was that uh, it's roughly the right story, or the same sort of beginning stories, it's just the settings were different. Uh, I think the original, mm. uh, Dias can correct me on this, um, was based in Vietnam, or Korea, sure. I can't remember which one it was. Vietnam. And they yeah. updated it to Afghanistan with the yeah. whole thing, and... Uh, um, back then, um, the fact was that he wasn't a playboy. He was also much of a sort of straightforward um, character back then as well. So you know, they sort of take the the great bits from from Iron Man uh, as a as a, a background and say, look, we're just going to take Green Lantern, go a little bit like this, and just go that step further. Because I have to agree with Darth. The the, the effects so far they look absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure I'm on board with your assessment that it's actually pinching stuff from Iron Man. It's not really that. It's that it's taking stuff from other versions of Green Lantern. Um, you that, can that's find what I just pinched ideas. It's just looking how that was made and then seeing how you could sort of uh, keep within the sort of the parameters of the Green Lantern. Uh, yeah. And then bring it up to date, you know, looking what made Iron Man such the success it was and then doing the same sort of idea for Green Lantern in to get it to be a success. Right. Presumably, yeah, but, but certainly, with that, they'll bring humour, a little bit more humour into it, because I think that was the uh, the thing that uh, Iron Man did, didn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the flippant oh, yeah. hero. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you can see from the trailer itself, there's a lot of humour involved in it um, so far. Yeah, the bit where he reveals his outfit to his friend. Yeah. How cool is that? <laughs> 
Which, by the way, if if you're impressed with how that shot is, it, you know, I don't know if you, we know this yet, but basically, uh, that's not an actual outfit. That is a total CGI creation. Um, so it's very different than, say, when you see Superman or you see Batman in, in the movies where they are actually wearing an outfit. He's not. He's just wearing a green outfit, and then they're putting onto it a CGI outfit, which is why it looks kind of different and shimmers and stuff. Um, but there is actually... Uh, somewhere on the net, and you can probably just look up something like, uh, I don't know, uh, New Green Lantern Outfit Change, or something like that. And you'll be, one of the first things up there is going to be a, an article describing how the actual transformation takes place. And it's kind of cool. I mean, it, it's, it's, we've seen green screen effects on, on body, certainly in the making of, say, Gollum, how, how we're transferring, um, you know, motion capture from the Gollum suit into the actual CGI character of Gollum. But this is a little bit different, you know, because it, we're not, you know, having a, a CGI Green Lantern. It, well, I'm sure at some point there is, but in general, we're not looking at a totally CGI Green Lantern. Green Lantern. We're just looking at a CGI outfit, which is an interesting challenge and, and one that hasn't been, I don't think, done on a on a big scale like this before. No, yeah, so, I'm it looked to me, uh, it looked to me, Darth, as though you know, with the ring, anything you can imagine, you can make happen. It almost looked as though they, they were implying that he imagined the suit, and the ring provided the suit. Was that was, well, uh, was yeah, that I, what was happening? I, I, that's not what, according to the lore, happens. The, the suit is actually supposed to be real. Um, but and then just sort of have a green glow around it. Originally, and by originally, I mean in the sixties. But, um, no, I mean, as you see other Green Lanterns or whatever, you see that they all basically have the same suit. It's, it is a uniform. Um, so, I don't know. But, but, but the point is, in terms of the, the behind-the-scene deal, it, it is an interesting experiment to have just a costume be CGI. And for that costume, therefore, to have to move in all the different ways that the actor moves. Um, so it'll be interesting to watch out for that, I think. Okay, okay Dave, I'm going to have to shift, mate, and I'll uh, wish you all the best for the rest of the podcast, guys, and I'll catch you later. All right, thank you for that. Cheers. Bye, Graham. And all then right. one other oh. little bit of news um, yep. that is complicated, but I'll try to get through it as quickly as possible. Basically, um, gosh, I don't even know where to begin with this. Um, th- there, there has been some movement in one of the cases involving the rights to Superman this week. Um, that movement... Let's see. How do I explain this? All right, really quickly. Superman created by Siegel and Schuster in 1938. That, therefore, is the copyright date. $130 plus a contract for Siegel and Schuster to work at DC was given to them in exchange for we get the rights to Superman forever and ever. Amen. Um, then Superman takes off. Siegel and Schuster periodically say, wait a minute, we should be getting more of that money. They, ta- they have several different court cases. Most of those court cases go really nowhere. Um, and then um, you know, the copyright of Superman gets extended by U.S. federal law. It originally was supposed to end in like 76. It then gets extended to um, you know, now 96 and then uh, 99. And then um, th- there's a further extension then after that. But basically, um, 
Siegel and Schuster's estates have sued separately under new laws that didn't exist in 1938 that allow them to try to get back some of the rights. Siegel's estate um, moved in the late 1990s, and for, and they basically got it. They got a portion of the rights back um, from 1999, which means that from that point forward, they are supposed to be getting direct residuals off of anything Superman. So, for instance, they get direct residuals off of Smallville and off of Superman Returns. They don't get anything direct off of Superman the movie, Superman 2, uh, through Superman 4, or any of the comics before 1999. Schuster moves later than that, and um, his rights, or his estate's rights, are supposed to kick in in 2013. In 2013, if everything goes according to their plans, then they will get, um, they will be owners of Superman, but in a way that was defined last year. That way is this weird Terry Nation, Dalek, Doctor Who, BBC split in which they own certain elements of Superman, but not all of it. So, for instance, the Siegel and Schuster Estates will own, um, you know, Clark Kent. They'll own um, the planet Krypton. They'll own that there's a guy named Jor-El, and that there's a, his wife named Laura, and that they send their baby out towards Earth, and then when that baby hits the ground, they are met by two people called Mr. and Mrs. Kent, nothing specific about their first names, and that that baby grows up to be faster than a speeding bullet, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound, and whatever the third thing is of that little triptych. Um, but DC owns things that they put into the mix. So, for instance, the fact that Superman can fly is a DC invention, and they own it, not Siegel and Schuster. The fact that Superman has supervision, I mean, X-ray vision, heat vision, uh, the ability to hear well, super well, uh, super breath, um, Lex Luthor, um, Jimmy Olsen, Perry White, those are all DC creations. Uh, whereas Siegel and Schuster own Lois Lane, they own uh, Clark Kent, they, uh, so it's split in half, basically. So no party has everything. Now, in the meantime, what's happened is, although the Siegel and Schuster have traditionally represented their cases separately, in the last few years they have gone under one lawyer, um, a guy by the name of Toborov. And Toborov, um, according to DC, um, gave their clients, gave his clients illegal advice, in which uh, the the result of the result of that illegal advice being, oh no. Um, we're going to take back our copyright assignments to you, DC. And so they, DC, separate to the lawsuit, the several lawsuits having to do with the actual rights themselves, DC suing this lawyer basically for malpractice and saying, you gave bad advice that you didn't have the right to give. Yeah. Oh, yes. you broke away then. We lost a year for last month. Uh, okay. Well, uh, well, last month. Hello. Yeah, yeah. We we you got the bit where you said the, the, they they said the lawyer was um, not for didn't do them a good job. Right, right. So DC sues this lawyer, and last month the uh, 
the judge that's sort of overseeing all this stuff says, well, then we're going to put the entire case on hold, that is the broader case about copyright, on hold until you know, we can do more investigations with this lawyer and settle that case first. DC says that doesn't work for us because we're trying to get the Superman movie made before 2013 and the complete reversion of rights to Schuster. And so they file another motion and they say, oh, no, you know, we need to just get back on track and figure out who the hell owns Superman. So yesterday or day before yesterday or whatever, the, the, the judge says, okay, we're going to not hold up this case anymore. You can immediately start the, – the Warner Brothers lawyers can immediately start deposing the actual members of the Siegel and Schuster family, and they can get on with discovery, which means that the case will – about the actual rights will probably be settled next year. But it really should have been settled in – by now, like actually by today, it probably should have been settled. But because of the secondary case, which put everything on hold, it's not. Uh, and so luckily, I guess now this, this judge has said, okay, we shouldn't have waited. Let's go on with the actual discovery of who owns Superman. So we should see by next year probably who owns Superman. And even though... DC is completely moving forward with this Superman movie and pretending like nothing is going on. Um, they will almost certainly have to go to a judge to see if they can actually release the film. Wow. But the weird thing is that's only in America. All this is all about American rights only. There is no contest whatsoever that DC owns the right to Superman outside of the United States of America. Right. So I know it is there's another bizarre to it. It's very complicated. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even with uh, with with authors and books, uh, America used to have. Uh, I think in the UK we used to have up to 50 years after the author's death. I think in America it's something like 75 years, uh, and that's caused lots of complications. I think here in the UK we've had to um, to to bring things into line with that. Um, but uh, Merlin just put in text as well because there's a complication of Smallville, isn't there? So. Characters like Chloe, I suppose, are not owned by them, are they? You know, people that have been introduced. Actually, Smallville is not a complication because of the fact that it's ending right now. It's going to end well before any reversion of rights to Schuster. And Siegel tried to file a, a court case saying that it didn't get proper residuals from Smallville or Superman Returns, but the judge said no. That In fact, it had the Siegel estate had been properly paid. So Smallville's in the clear. Um, right. And as Merlin's pointing out with like Chloe, I mean, yes, Chloe is a wholly owned Warner Brothers property. Um, so she joins the rank of, you know, um, Perry White and Jimmy Olsen and Lex Luthor. But I mean, if you can imagine, what the hell are really, realistically, what are Siegel and Sister going to do with the Superman of literally Action Comics number one? That's it. That's all they get. Action Comics number one. Plus, I guess this a little bit of comic strips that happened in the newspaper before it came to DC. So it's like, you know, I don't know how many frames that is. That might, if it's even twenty frames, I'll be surprised. Literally, just Superman who can leap taller than a single uh, leap tall buildings in a single bound. That's all they got. Wow. That's not going to be. That's not Superman. Not anymore. <laughs> So you don't think they wanted a shed full of money just to go away? They wanted to actually try and develop something themselves? They do want to try to develop something themselves. I don't see how they're going to do it. Because, 
I mean, if they don't own Perry White, if they don't own Jimmy Olsen, and especially if they don't own Lex Luthor, I mean, I know you can have Superman stories without those characters, but it's not, at some point, it it is rather like Doctor Who and the Daleks. You know, the Daleks yeah. need Doctor Who to be successful, and in the same way, really, Superman needs Superman needs access to Batman, to Wonder Woman, much yeah. less to Lex Luthor and all these other characters. So, I mean, it's 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 kind of good because what it means is that ultimately, even though Siegel and Schuster themselves never actually benefited from it, that well, they did. They actually made money they just didn't make like great residuals but for the time they were still making tens of thousands of dollars um in their contracts but it it does mean that ultimately this will be a fairer sort of allocation of residuals between the company that puts out the material and the and the people who actually devised the hero or at least the heirs of the people who devised the hero right but they'll never be able to shop it out as an independent thing i don't think Right. Well, it's it's the old saying, isn't it? You know, uh, the lawyers get rich. And uh, if I can quote, uh, and I can't quote it now because I can't remember the quote line, but from um, that ongoing law case in the that British series, I'll, I'll remember it later. So I'll stop. anyway, let's move on. Thanks for that, uh, Darth. But we are now um, well into the show. Let's. Uh, we've got some one piece of feedback, and then we're going to have a little bit of a report about um, an event that hopefully Tim can just give us a little bit of a insight. Uh, we just had some feedback from Danny Time Lord Pinsuti, I think, is how it pronounces. Uh, hi, Dave. Uh, just listening to Cult Collective uh, number 62. Um, and that was the one we did about sci-fi down under. Uh, it mentions some of the things that were mentioned, a couple of things by Darth Skeptical. Um, one is uh, just a... Uh, an update for the Australia uh, has 22 million people, not 26 as we suppose, 26 million. Um, and the, the TV show Time Tracks um, did in actual fact get a run in Australia and uh, that Danny himself enjoyed loving that. There was one other thing he caught but um, couldn't really specify, so we'll let that pass. Well, Danny, thank you for the feedback. We always like feedback. Um, corrections are whatever. I'm quite used to being corrected on the different things that I do, so uh, welcome for that. So, um, in fact, before we go to um, Second Life, let me just uh, tell people how they can call into the show. If you enjoy listening, why not join the collective and participate yourself? We're on TalkShoe. Call ID 54821. Call in on 724-444-7444. This is a US number, area code 724, so do check your calling plan before dialing in. If you have a SIP client, you can call in for free on 66.212.134.192. Or you can connect in directly via the Shoe phone client if you have TalkShoe Live installed. Looking forward to hearing you. Okay, uh, well, uh, Tim, do you want to just give us a brief mention of the uh, Gallifreyan Embassy Podshock uh, Second Life 47.2 meetup? Uh, yes, Dave. I'll also add briefly that um, further on the Craig Ferguson show, um, uh, the Nerdist guy was wearing a very impressive Doctor scarf that was made by um, Tardis Tara, who you'll find on um, Twitter, Podshock, and... Another, um, dirt, um, I can't remember which one she's on now. Dirty Hooers, I think. 
Yeah, dirty. No, no, no. Happiness on happiness patrol. Sorry, wake up, brain. Anyway, uh, she she'd been um, mentioning on Twitter for several months that she'd sent them about three different uh, scarves, and kept hoping that Craig Ferguson himself would wear one. So I was very pleased when one showed up on the show. And uh, once we get on to the main subject, I'll put in chat her um, Tumblr link because she did actually manage to track down the Utah filming of Doctor Who. But, uh, spoiler warning, don't look at these photographs if you don't want to be spoiled, because, uh, they did see certain things. But, uh, on to last night, and it was night, and it was late, <laughs> but, um, at nine o'clock, uh, uh, I got onto my fastest computer, for I'm, uh, bereft of certain bits of equipment at the moment, and, um, at uh, not long after nine, we uh, kicked off uh, the um, Podshock meetup. Although, sadly, uh, uh, the only Podshock presenter who managed to get online was Lewis Trapani, and he was having a few technical problems for about the first um, hour or so, but he managed to solve them eventually. And um, well, we uh, we went off on the TARDIS tours, which, uh, as those of us in the room tonight will testify. Uh, we're a little bit plagued with technical problems, which uh, kind of seemed appropriate, really, because we were celebrating the 47th anniversary of Doctor Who, and particularly during the classic series, the Doctor never quite knows where the TARDIS is going to end up. <laughs> and they were somewhat winging it a bit. They, 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 they had one initial idea for the first destination and couldn't persuade this Second Life TARDIS to take us there, so uh, instead parked us at the um, museum, which is in the Katrina Sim, and uh, went off to try and persuade this TARDIS into life for about half an hour. But um, on, the, on the whole, the TARDIS tour was great fun, really, because you didn't quite know where we were going to end up and how long it was going to take to get there, and there were some interesting things to see. And uh, then at 11 o'clock... Uh, I transferred onto a much slower machine. We were at the point of the uh, events where moving around was not as necessary. Uh, the uh, DJ, uh, Edward Pierce, who played another excellent set of music, a uh, mixture of um, some of it pop, some of it uh, more geeky, most of it geeky, really. Plenty of uh, sort of soundtrack stuff. Uh, plenty of stuff to please uh, Victor first morning. So you need the whole... Uh, set of 1960s records and um, well much fun was had by all um, I gather we peaked at about 42 people in the sim quite appropriate 48 really. I think 48 I think 48 oh I didn't hear yeah. that figure I yeah. certainly heard 40, 42 at one point but um, thankfully uh, the sim itself didn't crash although I did <laughs> at least twice <laughs> So, um, yeah, when when we got to the the bit with the photograph, I thought, well, everybody's standing still. I'll switch to a higher resolution uh, setting, thinking uh, well, they're all standing still. It'll make a better uh, picture, uh, and everything ne just froze ne up. Never, never wise, Dave. For future reference, if there's a setting on graphics that Second Life runs best on your machine, stick to it. <laughs> yes, indeed. Your, um, your, your machine's never going to get any faster unless you up, upgrade it in some way. But um, no, it was a, a very, very um, fun night. Um, a lot of the humour we can't really <laughs> discuss on this show, but <laughs> you should have been there. And um, 
As we're in the habit of plugging our podcasts on this show, uh, a few hours before the meetup, uh, me and my co-host uh, Mimi uh, did a little short living a second life. It's only about twelve minutes long, which uh, uh, details the uh, decorations that uh, Victor had put up in the sim, and also um, talks about the meetups in general. Right, yeah, that's so, great. Link and for that there in chat. Yeah, um, and for the um, if you, if you're on Facebook, uh, look out, search for the Colton Collective. Uh, fan page. Uh, there are some pictures there, and on my Twitpic page, that's uh, twitpic.com forward slash photographs forward slash Dave AC. There's a few Twitpics that I put up uh, during the course of the the event itself. Okay, anybody in the room uh, that was at the Second Life who wants to make a comment? I'm not sure there is in on audio, but uh, now's the chance to speak. Okay, well, we're coming up to three quarters of an hour and we have yet to start our topic, so I think we'll draw a, a line under other topics now. And uh, just let me uh, give us a little short burst of music to get us in the mood. Right, well, the Cult Collective have gathered today. We're going to talk about the Sarah Jane Adventures Series 4, which has just ended here in the UK. Uh, may I suggest to people who have either not seen all uh, Sarah Jane, have only seen parts of it, uh, what we're going to try and do is uh, go through sequentially through the 12 episodes, the six stories. So, obviously, if you've downloaded this and uh, uh, you've only got to... Um, the third or fourth story in the series. We'll just listen to that point in time and then save the rest for later because there will be no avoiding spoilers uh, in the course of this. So we've got um, six... Well, the only spoiler we'll give you is the titles. We've got six stories. That's 12 episodes. Uh, the Nightmare Man, The Vault of Secrets, Death of the Doctor, The Empty Planet, Lost in Time... Goodbye, Sarah Jane Smith. And so, before we start with the first story, um, let's hear a little bit of um, the Sarah Jane, uh, sorry, the Nightmare Man. And this is the attic. Mrs. Smith, I need you. <laughs> Mom? Somebody's in, Josh. Do you like it? Oh, he's so sweet. He's my new baby boy. Sarah Jane, I'm receiving a call from you. Oh, take a message. I've got Josh now. Have they forgotten you already? What 
are you? What do you want? What do you want? Life. Your nightmares. Your fear. They're giving me such power. One more little nightmare from you. And I'll be in your world. You can't. <laughs> I'll send everyone into an eternal sleep. A whole world of nightmares for me to feed upon. And I'll grow stronger and stronger. Oh, it's going to be so good. Oh, it's all because of you, Lucky. Where are you from? What? What planet are you from? I'm from nowhere. I'm from everywhere. You're just an alien. And I've stopped aliens before. But wouldn't it be terrifying if I was so much more than that? Get ready for the end of the world, Luke. An eternal sleep of nightmares. Oh, and it's all your fault. Right, quite a long clip for that first one, just to get us in the mood. All the others uh, are quite a bit shorter than that. Now, we've got about five or six people on mic, so there's no need for me to sort of go in any particular order. Um, Who would like to uh, go first uh, on that one? If uh, nobody volunteers, I'm going to volunteer Mike to go. But um, what do we think of The Nightmare Man as an opening story this time? Anybody want to jump in first? Otherwise, I'm going to jump on Mike. Okay, Mike, you're up. I've already clarified in chat that I've only seen one story from this series. <laughs> and this isn't it. <laughs> and that has also scrolled off because uh, other people have been putting text in. That's scrolled off my page. Okay, uh, Romana too. I'll say a couple back. of words if you like. Oh, go on, Tim, certainly. And then I'll go to Romana after you then. Go on, Tim. Well, uh, this guest starred, as we've just heard, um, a wonderfully creepy performance from Julian Bleach, which um, reviewers have described... Uh, well, some people seem to love it and describe it as wonderfully creepy, and other people have described it as a little over camp. But I, I personally am of the belief you can be both camp and creepy, and he seems to pull that off. But um, no, no, I thought it was a good enough attention grabber to start the series with. But beyond that, not a great deal more to mention, other than the fact that it uh, features, uh, it starts the pattern uh, for the rest of the series, um, in that uh, although Luke features heavily in this story, uh, it's the only story he really features heavily in. He's uh, dispatched to university at the end of it, and uh, then kind of makes cameos throughout. Yeah, and that should be explained, by the way, to uh, to listeners, uh, people who didn't get the UK education system. Uh, Clive... Uh, Riley and himself are in the same class at school, but because he's so intelligent, he's taking the entrance exams like a year early, uh, or his A-levels early, uh, and that's why they're still staying behind and going to school, and yet he's gone off to university, he, uh, simply because of uh, that. But um, it was to accommodate the actor rather than uh, and the, than the story written around it. Okay, uh, Romana, do you want to mention this one? Yeah, well, they did a similar thing with writing Maria out of the story as well. But um, 
I do like how they at least came back to, to Luke constantly throughout the series, with, whereas Maria got maybe, like, one little mention and then she was, like, quickly forgotten about. But, um, yeah, this one, I like this one. Um, I like this point now that Sarah Jane is a series that I like, but I don't love, if that makes sense. Like, it's not, like, how I feel about some other shows I watch. It's not, I'm not jumping at the bit to watch it as it comes out. For example, like, Literally, like, I only just watched... I watched six episodes last night just to catch up so I could come on the show because I'd been getting them but just hadn't had the desire to watch them because um, I don't know why. I'm just not excited about it. But it's, I do feel that this series was was better than some of the others. But um, this story in particular I enjoyed because I am a fan of the Luke character and um, um, I, thought this, see, I thought this was a good... Um, Good looking to him. His, um, good looking to him. But um, Julian no. Bleach, of course, played um, the Nightmare Man in it. Of course, yeah. he's now been in all three of the Doctor Who universe shows. He's been he was in Torture first, and then he was, of course, Davros, and now he's the Nightmare Man. The Nightmare Man reminded me a lot of his character in Torture, and because of that, I couldn't quite get it out of my head because it's a similar type of kind of voice he used and similar kind of mannerisms because it's all very circus-like and he was like um, in the talk episode he was a circus ringleader and then this is like almost like a clown so um, while it you know it didn't distract me from my enjoyment I just felt this was a little something I noticed that was very similar but I thought Julian Bleach was awesome in this um, so that makes my enjoyment of it more yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah and that's Yes, yeah, it's probably one of my favourite of the series four, only because I remember at the time I first watched it, I was quite annoyed that they written Luke out of the series. It's like, oh, ship him off the University of Canaan, goodbye. But um, but then watching the rest of the series, I actually actually enjoyed watching Clyde and Ronnie, which I never thought would ever happen. Um, so, you know, I think they're really up the game this year. I think it's... It, Without starting to go on a rad, I think the fact that Russell T. Davies only had this series to focus on this year has shown in the way it's been played out because he wasn't distracted by Doctor Who and talk it hasn't really been going on. So he could focus all his creative energy into this series and I think it definitely reflects in the quality of the story, but that's just my opinion. Here you go. I'm saying positive things about Russell. Oh. Whoever. Yeah. yeah. I think uh, as well. In the, I mean, I know you said you've watched them or basically at a, at a sitting. But one of the things that has been really working well for the Sarah Jane Adventures, I think, is this of doing the the two parts on consecutive evenings. So. Um, mm. You know, with the, I mean, obviously the, the plots are not that evolved anyway, but when the target audience is, I don't know, uh, 6 to 16 or something like that, uh, it, it perhaps uh, makes uh, it, it easier to do it in that way. Uh, and luckily they don't overdo the overlap, if you know what I mean. You, you don't feel as though you've had a, a full episode and then half an episode at the end. They, they seem quite well balanced out. Um yeah. But one thing I would have mentioned uh, later, but I'll mention it now, yeah. Um, I hate to say it, but uh, the Tommy Knight character, uh, they can manage quite well without him, actually. Uh, and well, he, he, might, he might be a bit disappointed in that. Well, I thought that when they first originally wrote him out, I was 
Pride and Rage. Because I remember the only episode of Series 3 I really disliked was the one without Luke in it because Luke wasn't in it. But um, then after I watched, you know, I think it was the Fantastic, not Fantastic Planet, the Empty Planet, which really sold Clyde and Rani to me, finally, after many, many years of not really liking them. So I think it worked after that, but before before that I was quite annoyed to see Luke be written out of the series, but he was always, you know, there. He was in virtually every story, you know. He, he wasn't completely forgotten about like Maria was, and I think that was a good thing. Um, yeah. uh, the other thing to, to perhaps mention alongside that before we go to someone else is the fact that, of course, he takes K-9 with him. So in effect, you're, you're almost writing two characters out. One of that presumably is because of the the other Australian story. But, uh, I mean, one of the things about the Australian Adventures is you've got a clever computer, the clever dog, and a clever boy. So you've got a bit of a, an abundance of cleverness. So... Obviously, as long as you've got Mr. Smith in the attic to provide those sort of technical explanations, they used to call you know the gobble they speak on Star Trek. Uh, you know, you are sorted. Um, well, I did. I do like to know how is he going to hide K9 from you know. I know what uni houses are like. <laughs> I can only just imagine what K9 will be getting up to in that house. And yeah, I'll leave it there. I guess yeah. we have to assume he's not on on uni property and has a flat entirely to himself. If people can uh, sneak in partners, I'm sure they can sneak in a blooming metal dog. Uh, please, by the way, don't keep on so many people. We've got uh, six or seven people on mic. That's uh, an easy number for people to jump in when they've got something to add. Uh, Charlie, you lost uh, audio for a minute. How's your audio? Do you want to come in at this point? Um, sure. I mean, I assume you, I assume you guys can hear me right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. This, I actually speaking of K9. My uh, this there's a bit in there in um, Nightmare Man, which is my favorite bit. When um, uh, my favorite bits of, of Sarah Jane Adventures is when. Uh, uh, Mr. Smith tells Sarah that he can hook up, uh, connect to K9 to give him more power, and Sarah says, "Oh, I got all this stuff. I got alien tech. I got all this stuff. What do you need? I need a USB line." Um, <laughs> it's just simple like that. Yeah, it, and um, I think like another thing that 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 um, that sort of one of the high points of this episode was all the nightmares. Uh, the one that everybody seems to talk about a lot is, is uh, Clyde's nightmare of him working in a uh, like a burger joint or a fast food place, <laughs> and then and Sarah comes in and says some old lady on a scooter, uh, uh, you know, sort of um, sort of buttering up, uh, you know, uh, Luke and uh, and. Um, Ronnie and such and such like that. It seems like that that was the that was the that was the dream that um, that, that that probably would be a, a nightmare. It seemed like seeing Sarah look old. Um, yeah, it was it's, it's it, again you know, Julian Bleach. Good job. Um, I think probably I as with uh, most um, Sarah Jane Adventures, I think the first part was probably better than the second part. It seems like they always they always do good. Uh, Setups and then and then the uh, resolution is sort of iffy, but it's a kids show, you know. We have yeah, 
you know, the, 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 all the kids joining forces against uh, the Nightmare Man. That seems kind of, you know, the, the, you know, again, I'm not sort of the uh, the target demographic for this show, so I have to sort of let that yeah. slip. That's that, yeah. that that happens a lot with with this yeah. show. It's like, well, I'm not a kid. The, the Nightmare Man seemed to be taking a little bit more than the name Nightmare Man. It seemed a little bit like uh, the Nightmare Before Christmas type of the sort of yeah. sing-song voice that he was using. Right. Again, it's a Nightmare on Elm Street. Nightmare on Elm Street's where they nick the plot from. Well, right. I meant uh, I meant the, the 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 lilting way that he it was almost said as poetry, almost you know. Oh, yeah. yeah, but taking plots from places like Nightmare on Elm Street is pretty okay because, in fairness, the target audience wouldn't have seen that sort of uh, film or movie. I mean, Nightmare on Elm That's Street is kind of hard to Shouldn't have, is the more important word. But, so, <laughs> the target audience wouldn't have seen something like that. So, adapting so older stories for younger kids is fine by me. Well, Russell T. Davis was always able to uh, get inspired, shall we say, from the best. <laughs> Well, that's kind of sort of like Doctor Who in general. They've done that. They've nicked things from other stories and stuck them into uh, into their universe. So that's 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 fine with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, anybody else who's not yet commented on the Nightmare Man, uh, Darth? Do you want to come in on this one? Yeah, I mean, it, it was. Um, I really did like part one, but I think as Charlie has pointed out, you do run a risk with Sarah Jane and the Adventures of Part Two being. Um, Unsatisfactory, really, just flatly unsatisfactory. Um, and I think the thing that really didn't make any sense to me with this ser- serial was that Ronnie's n- supposed nightmare was exactly what she wants out of life. So I'm not exactly sure how that was a particular nightmare. I wasn't, I wasn't sold on the fear aspect of her. And more particularly, I think we have the, the start of a rather disturbing trend with this particular episode. Um, and by that I mean part two of mm. um, <laughs> what I'll call the Moffat infection. Um, that <laughs> is the um, the belief that suddenly if you think of something, it will make the problem go away. And that's what you know happens here. They think, and the nightmare man goes away. Just like you know, Big Bang. If you think, you'll somehow miraculously bring back the doctor from the other doctor, side of beyond. Doctor. Right. Doctor. I mean, no, 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 but that's scientific. Don't talk to me about last uh, of the Time Lords because that actually has at least some veneer of scientific rationality to it uh, because there's a network there and he hooked himself into yeah. the network. So that's fine. But okay. this is just, this is just, just like the Big Bang. This is just out and out. Think of me and your problems will be solved. And that's what happens here. And unfortunately, it's something that we see throughout this series. And it's the one aspect of this series that I don't like. I generally do like this series. But my God, how many times is there the think of something and it will happen or not happen plot? It's all over the place. And right. so it sort of, to me, it diminishes the, the you know, this sort of excellent work of Julian Bleach. And it also diminishes some of the, the really, as Charlie pointed out, Excellent lines. That USB line, that's fabulous. And really, I'm glad that they've got Alexander Armstrong voicing Mr. Smith because I'm not sure 
that other vocal artists who aren't so familiar with comedy would have been able to nail that line dead, which he did. So there's, there's good stuff. And, and, and it's interesting, too. One of the things that is, I do like about this and that I really like about part one is the fact that this is, I believe, the first time that there's truly asynchronous storytelling in Sarah Jane. You know, that we start off somewhere in the middle of the plot with um, Luke recording his little mm-hmm. message. Yeah. And then and then eventually find out what that's about. I mean, yes, we see that all the time in sort of adult fare all the time. But it's not actually been done in Sarah Jane before, which I don't know why. But um, that, I thought it was really effective. And this is, you know, I'm so glad to see the back of Luke. He's terrible. The, the character is a just abomination of science fiction cliche, but, you know. Let's have Wesley Crusher back again, please. That's clearly what we need in a, fi- a science fiction television show. <laughs> um, yeah. Beyond that, Tommy Knight, I'm sorry, can't act. Nice guy, apparently does a lot of good work, you know, in terms of public relations for the show, but he cannot act to save his life. I'm so glad to see the back of him. And you know what? In this particular episode, on some of the lines, I really did think that he was kind of act. I mean, there was something a little bit there, but still... It, most of the time, it's just like, please get this guy off my screen. He's bringing down the show. He's always brought down the show from Invasion of the Bane. He is terrible, and I'm glad to see the back of him. But I think it is entirely out of character that Sarah Jane just says, okay, you may take K-9 to Oxford, where I'm sure that won't be a problem. When, you know, even in the modern series, in School Reunion, She's a little bit protective of K-9 out in the real world. She at least tells the doctor, I can't just take him into a hardware store to have mm-hmm. him fixed, but yet yeah. I'll let him run off you know, around Oxford where there's every chance that some curious scientist might pick him up and do something with him. I mean, of all the places to let this creature run wild, why Oxford? I mean, it's just, what are the implications? Well, I remember, I remember the last series um, that... Um, Clyde snuck uh, K-9 into school. Into school. Trying yeah, to when they had those seeds. That's, that's very true. But, I mean, at least that was, I mean, there was some thought in that. that subterfuge, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, there was subterfuge, and then there was also, like, you know, Clyde is doing something wrong. Yeah. You know? And then and here it's yeah. just like, oh, no, take my beetle, which I've never seen before, which has never been a part of this series before. Okay, suddenly there's a garage on the house. Okay, here's the beetle. Take that. Take K-9. See ya. And it's like... I had to I'm look glad, that I'm, up. I went, I went had, had Sarah Jane ever had a beetle? And I thought, nope. <laughs> as far nope. as I can tell. No. And it's like, I mean, it should have at least been the car from School Reunion. Well, that would have made or, sense. Or, or, or the... Um, the yes. uh, one from um, oh, oh the, no, the one from school you, you would have made more sense. Yeah, right. We are in a car. Oh. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but no. It's and not when that. did Tommy Run have a drive, or did I blink and miss that? I think you uh, blink and missed it. Between series. Remember, guys, that um, okay. Remember when it started? It was the Sadine exploding, and then there was a whole year um, when he was doing the A level year type uh, studying. So basically, uh, we can presume then that between Slidine exploding and the Nightmare Man plot, he probably learned to drive around then. So we have a year yeah, gap. Ready, ready, ready for going to, yeah. And um, also with, uh, with, with Lou leaving, uh, 
we've had, uh, and it was featured in this particular episode, the burgeoning talents of uh, Rani, didn't we? Rather in our face somewhat. That was quite surprising, that scene. I don't know. I think it was from this one, wasn't it? Where she's going towards the television and then gets sucked into it. Or am I the only one that noticed that scene? What do you mean, well, burgeoning talent? Uh, yeah, her burgeoning talents, yes. Sorry, is that, are you saying she's more physically developed? Is no, I'm, I'm, seeing it, I'm saying it was quite um, overt for Sarah Jane Adventures. Um, I mean, she's, later on she's in historic costume and that makes sense, but this uh, choice of shots was a bit... Um, and I think they referred to it on the Radio Free Scaro as well. Um, that uh, for a children's show, it was an unusual oh. choice of of uh, editing. Well, I find her attractive, but I really didn't notice that scene at all. If it was there, I, I don't. Know. It's when she's on the couch I'll, I'll in the television. Take a she's, she's, she's on the couch and the, the, she's on the couch and the television talks to her. Okay. And she, I mean, I'm she just crawls saying, across the floor on all fours to the telly. I'm just saying it to me. It wasn't that overt because I didn't really think. There was anything. I well, mean, I, I, maybe, was, maybe it's because in my mind I know that she's twenty-three anyway, so or twenty. Oh whatever. yeah, she's, she's so yeah, it's she's like I don't really, I don't really, I don't really, I don't really see her as quite as young as what the. I mean, there's not much verisimilitude for me in her portrayal, so I don't really, I don't know. But that, that yeah, I don't uh, know it, if that's no, the first it, time we've seen. I think it was it. Uh, I think I heard it on Radio Free Scar that one of them uh, alluded to the fact that it seemed a, uh, a bit of a, you know, is this thrown in for dads type thing. Uh, anyway, uh, a bit risque, yeah, really. But um, certainly, more serious thought. The the two other, as uh, Romano said, the other two actors really filled any space that one person might have felt that Luke leaving had left. Um, you know, they, they, they were able to carry the story. It didn't seem, basically, although he was in the first story quite a lot. In the subsequent ones that we, we, we see, I didn't particularly miss him that much. Uh, in fact, he's probably more heavily into this one simply because we were going to, uh, you know, see less and less of him as the series progressed. Okay, anybody in the room not had their chance to comment on The Nightmare Man? Uh, episodes I one and two. I just have one more comment to say about it. I just have one more. Uh, yep. But I, my personally, I thought this was one of the strongest series openers since uh, series two's last on Taran. You know, it, it was like, if you remember the Revenge of the Sedin and uh, the uh, Prisoner of the Judoon, they were kind of played for the kids and mm. played for a bit of laughs. Uh, yeah. These, uh, and Taran and this one, a bit more serious, a bit, this one is certainly one of the creepier ones. So, in my opinion, it was one of the, uh, the strongest series openers uh, of the Sarah Jane adventures we've had so far. Right. I agree with that. And in my defence, Merlin, I think it was from Radio Free Scarrow that drew my attention to that. But um, anyway, let's move on to uh, episodes three and four, The Vault of Secrets. Uh, Two-part story. Uh, this was on the 18th and 19th of October. Um, and it features the return of the Androvax, is it? That was previously seen in The Prisoner of the Judoon and the Android Servants of the uh, Alliance of Shades. And those, of course, was a, quite a nice link-up because they were in the uh, the animated adventure from Doctor Who, Dreamland. 
So was anybody glad to see uh, those particularly in it? And uh, as anything to say on the story plot? Well, I, I enjoyed the return. I was slightly worried as to whether whether they could pull them off without it becoming a little bit comedic. But yeah. I think it worked worked very well. And um, possibly unlike any of the other stories, part two was quite thrilling. It was a bit of a sort of chase-orientated part two. Right. Well, let me just play a little clip from it. Give me the activator disc. Never! He's an alien too. We only want to save Androvax's species. Why won't you help us? The equilibrium must be maintained. What does that mean? The veil ship must not be taken from the hyperdimensional vault. And if it is? The ship's star drive engines will disrupt the vault matrix. The dimensional disturbance will tear your planet apart. But my people will live again! Okay, just a short clip this time. Anyone want to come in on that? Oh, just let me unmute Romana too. I don't know what happened to your audio there, Romana. It must have just dropped for a second. Oh, it's just Skype being a pain in the bum as usual, dropping out on me. It does that. <laughs> Would you like to go first then on The Vault of Secrets? Oh, um, well, I recently watched um, these again. I watched these. This is actually another one that I waited quite a while to watch because I wasn't that enthused about it after the end of The Nightmare Man. I wasn't, I was, I, I thought, oh, I'm not going to like the series now with only Clyde and Ronnie. So I only watched this just before watching the next two episodes because I wanted to watch those. So I thought, oh, I have to watch these so I can watch those kind of thing. But, um, you know, I don't really have much to say about this one. The doctor um, I did. is dead. Units will take charge of the funeral in conjunction. Sorry. I was putting a link in then and I uh, clicked the wrong... I've got two keyboards here because I'm in this Dave AC2 and I was getting uh, a clink in for that silly name. Bur- Take number three. Yeah. <laughs> and of course I clicked the enter button for the wrong keyboard. We're, we're, so you do realise we'll be raiding your wine cellar for these, Dave. Uh, I've had, had half a glass of wine up to now, that's all. Mm. Yeah, we'll be taking the bottles away as punishment. <laughs> yeah, what on earth was all that about? Why did they have to have... I mean, that's typical Russell T. Davis, isn't it? Ocean Waters. Uh, ocean Waters? Uh, where did they get oh, these names right from? One, River Song, yeah. Ocean Waters. Okay. Anyway, Maybe uh, he's taking, the, the, taking the Mickey out of um, Moffat's. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. But um, so as I was saying, yeah, I don't really have... I did watch this one today because um, while you guys were on a second life, I was attending my local Doctor Who Club's um, 47th anniversary day meet. And we pretty much just watched their Jane all day. Um, so this one's quite fresh in my mind again. And again, I don't really have much to say about it. Um, other than, yeah, it was okay. It was a bit of a... Yeah, that's pretty much it. That's all I can really say about this one. I've got a lot to say on the next one. But other than that, this one it just doesn't really stick in my memory. Okay, Charlie then, do you want to come in? Thanks. Um, I, I don't know if I really have a lot to say about this one. Um, there was that whole bit at the beginning with the, the Mars rover when they when they dismantled the, um, <laughs> they sort of sabotaged the, the rover when, when it was on <laughs> Mars, you know, 
And yeah, like everybody said, oh, that's a that's a pyramids of Mars reference or so. Yeah. And um, when I saw that, I thought, hey, come on, <laughs> my tax pay, my tax money is going towards that that rover. Don't sabotage it. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's sort of it's sort of one of those things. Yeah, it said burps. That like that, that what a silly name for um for for whatever a UFO group and. Um, I like to know more about this, you know, ocean waters. I mean, she she was abducted by aliens. Well, not abducted by aliens, but abducted by this, um, the, the the men in black, sort of, sort of speak. And they sort of, and at the end, she she sort of, you know, <laughs> I don't know if she's brushed under the carpet, but the whole thing with, with Ronnie's mom forgetting everything, and then it's like, oh, you know, nothing happened. And it's like, well, <laughs> so it's, it's you know, she, she sort of has her own story. I don't think they'll ever come back to it. Um, it was nice seeing, yeah, Andrew Dox, um possessing everybody. He possesses by by every single person in the in the in the, um, in the cast. Right. Uh, yeah. Just, other chap, the stories. other person in Burps was he called Minty or something? He wasn't the yeah. he wasn't the chap out of uh, Voyage <laughs> no, to the Damned. No, Um. Oh, I don't know. I thought it might be, you know, that couple in Voyage of the Damned. I I think he was, but he did look similar, so maybe. Uh, I can tell you that Minty was played by a guy called David Weber, and I'm just looking up his um, uh, acting capabilities. I don't see anything there. Uh, Come back to me there, and I'll I'll, I'll see about um, Voyage of the Damned. Oh, right. I'm, I'm just looking at the other one here. Go on then, Tim. Well, um... I thought this was quite a fun story, really. The, the the burps thing was a bit silly, but then all of these stories have got a comedy element in them somewhere. So it was... Um, I, I suppose that that was a slight, slight distraction from the more fun and more thrilling part of the plot. But um, uh, the main highlight was uh, Androvax, really, and his uh, ability to jump into our heroes. And uh, so... It, almost worth watching as a test of who's the best actor really because they've basically got to act as if they're not themselves not the main regular character they normally play and uh, I'm sure most of us were just waiting for him to jump into Sarah Jane again and see if she'd give the the same performance that she did last time Right. which I personally didn't have any qualms with other than that it seemed a little over the top Right. Yeah, I'll just come in at this point and I'll tell you that it was Cly Rowe that played Morvan Van Hoff in Voyage of the Damned. So no, it's not the same person. Okay, thanks for that. Uh, um, uh, right, okay. Uh, Scaldis, do you want to make any more comments on the actual two-parter? Uh, uh, for me, it's, okay, it's still a very good story, but it was definitely one of the more weaker stories, of, one of the weaker stories in this series. It certainly went back to what one of most of the stories were like in series three. Uh, most of the Philip Ford led stuff you know, was just basically run about aliens and you know, a bit, bit of laughs with um the British UFO Research and Paran- Paranormal Studies Society, otherwise known as the Burp. Healing so branch. Healing branch, yes, take your pardon. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, was... you gather on the Colton branch. Uh, but yeah, so it was an okay story, but definitely, you know, in reflection of all six of them, not one of the strongest ones there. But 
this was a very strong series, so it was still a very good story. Right, indeed. Uh, anybody else? Uh, Mike, which, which did you say which one episode it was the one that you'd seen? Was it just the, doc- it's, it's, the next one? It's, the, it's obvious the one that I saw, and it wasn't this yeah. one. <laughs> right. Please tell me if I miss anything in text, by the way. So, um, uh, well, Darth, do you want to come in on this one? Yeah, I, mean, I hated this one. I mean, I absolutely loathed this episode. But, uh, you know, of course, it's Phil Ford. And unlike, you know, some other people who seem to think that he's just God's gift to the universe, I think Phil Ford is a, a terribly negative influence on the, the, the writing of universe episodes and this is just you know another example of that because he doesn't seem to care about the broader continuity that is uh, being delivered just like you know when he writes city of daleks for the the adventure game series what does he do he he goes back on one of the most important points that is given to us in series one of doctor who and that is i stopped both the time lords and the daleks it doesn't make any sense that the time lords would be time locked and gallifrey therefore out of the time stream but scarrow is somehow still alive that's stupid and it's the same thing here with vault of secrets the central conceit of this episode is that you know the people on earth don't know who aliens are it shouldn't be that we've got this burps organization going around where people who have seen aliens are huddled together you know, out of the mainstream. It should be people who don't believe in aliens who are out of the mainstream at this point. And so it's completely reversing all the work that's been done for the past five years on Doctor Who, where gradually we've seen people understand that there are such things as aliens. So I, I just don't think that the whole thing works. I don't think that this development of the men in black from um, Dreamland uh, are now going around trying to wipe people's memories of alien events. I don't think, I, I mean, I saw Dreamland not too long ago, and I, that was not the implication I got of what they were doing. Um, it, it sort of is. I mean, you, could, you can build onto that, and you could make it that way, but that's not what I got out of just watching Dreamland alone. Um, you also have this really strange thing in the episode where Sarah is going to any lengths whatsoever to help this murderer, to help Androvax, last of the veils, to survive. And I don't know if I believe that, um, given not only what this character has done to her personally, but also given her understanding of evil from a very human standpoint. I mean, if you go back to Genesis of the, of the Daleks, what is she saying? How can you possibly doubt whether it's right to kill the Daleks at this stage. And I, you know, this character is of a similar magnitude of evil because we, we learned that he's killed, I don't know how many planets and how many billions of people, but it is big. And she's trying to find everything, every way possible to help the character. And I just don't believe that. And I especially don't believe that because of what happens the very next week and what she chooses to do um, and we'll talk about it when we get to Death of the Doctor, but what she chooses to do there in her, what appears to be, you know, coffin moment. Um, it, the whole thing is just pitched the wrong way. And, you know, one little token throw to Pyramids of Mars doesn't make this thing feel like it should be a part of the universe. It just feels so outside of it. Like, as if Phil Ford believes that he is running 
a show that exists to promote the characters that he has personally created rather than, you know, I'm writing as a part of a, a group of other writers to build something. It's it, it just, I don't, I don't like what he does, man. I don't, he, so many, since um, the Gorgon episode, which I admit to be a really good one, most of what he's done has been really crappy. And not only in terms of how it offends the broader universe, but just because, you know, his part two is just crap. They're always horrible crap. And this one is too. The, the way that it's, I... actually, it's actually resolved, I think, is hor- it's another, you know, click my fingers and here we go. It's, we're done here. So I just, I don't, I don't, this is for me by far the worst story of the series. And I'm sorry I cut somebody off there. I think Scar is perhaps. No, Dorothy, I just want to ask you, uh, what do you think of the one from last year, The Eternity Trap, which was the one that did... You didn't like that one, no? I don't think it's the worst one, but it's the second worst one. I mean, he's he's got one and two worse than that, and Mona Lisa... Mona Lisa's Revenge is clearly one of the worst things ever made in the name of Doctor Who or the Hooniverse. Um, But Eternity Trap was great part one. Part two is kind of stupid, but... The, the, what do you the mean, one Mona Lisa? Yeah, 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 from Doctor. Yeah, but um, you know, the the one kind of good thing about Eternity Trap is that you do have Sarah Jane there in, in at least part one, espousing values that she should have been espousing throughout this entire series, which is you know, there's no such thing as ghosts there. Everything has a rational explanation. There's always a scientific explanation. That's what the doctor told her. That's what she experienced under the fourth doctor especially. And that's what she should be continuing to espouse instead of this thing that we've seen throughout this series of, oh, maybe if you think hard enough, things will be all right. Um, So, yeah, Eternity Trap is better than Mona Lisa's Revenge, but not by much. All right. And how about uh, just one more uh, I'll ask you about on that one. I think he said to me, when I said that uh, the last and Taran and um, the Nightmare Man were strong openers, just to point out, last and Taran is also a Phil Ford story. Yeah, and I mean he's not. Again, he's not entirely without um, some redeeming features. And and last and Taran. Well, I mean. <laughs> I come at that story at a very oblique angle in that I don't like Santarans anyway. I really didn't particularly enjoy the story that that's twin to in series four, Poison Sky and whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But I thought that it did sort of rescue the Poison Sky a little bit. I mean, I thought it was very cleverly integrated. That one is actually properly integrated into the Hooniverse that, I mean, yeah, you, are you my money line? Are you hmm. my mummy line? <laughs> right. Well, you know, um, and so that one's pretty good. Um, but I mean, I think I think his last r- really strong, reasonable effort is probably Day of the Clown. Um, and that one is only really good because you know you got Ronnie introduced in it. Actually, no, that one's that one is that one's fine. But after that, um, you know, Enemy of the Bane. Come on, Enemy of the Bane is terrible. Um, and then certainly everything in series three, and then this thing in series four, just terrible. I, I just think he's he's not really good at resolutions. He's not really good at making the story flow across two parts. I don't think. Um, and he is especially he just seems 
like he's you know a cowboy out there on the plains, just writing whatever he wants to write, and not I mean for the last two years at least, just not really trying to make me feel like Sarah Jane is a part of the broader universe. I just hate the way he writes it, and I hate that he is in control of things. I mean, Rupert Light or jo- Joseph Lister or even Gareth Roberts should be in control of it, not him. And it bugs me that he's the head writer. I, I have a reaction to Phil Ford that is very similar to what I hear a lot of people have with Russell T. Davies. Just, I think that he might possibly be, you know, better used away from actually writing scripts. Maybe he's good at shaping. I, I don't even think he's good. At that. No, I... I <laughs> I think my reaction is worse than what most... Because at least people who don't like Russell T. Davies will admit, yes, he was good at being the showrunner. Yes, he was good at, you know, mm-hmm. sort of making the Up broader thing work. Up to a point. But still, but still yeah, good at merchandising thing. Yeah, sure, sure. But, so, I, you in, know, in short, uh, find him a different show to work on. In short, yeah, get him the hell out of the universe before somebody gets the good idea that he is, you know, Stephen Moffat's successor, which, oh my God, that scares the hell out of me. <laughs> that's exactly how I feel about Russell getting out of the universe now <laughs> but that's another story wow strong feelings there but uh, uh, people that are listening to this later remember that uh, if you don't agree with some of these opinions the best way to rectify that is either send us feedback go to cultdom.com and send some feedback there uh, the email is uh, cultdom at tiskly.co.uk I'll put that in the text in a minute um, or you can go on to our f- uh, Facebook fan page register as one of the followers on there and you can put comments on there but even better is to come on the show live as we've told you call number is um, 724-444-7444 or you can call in a SIP client at 66.212.134.192 we go out at 2pm Eastern Standard Time every Sunday. Okay, anybody want to make another comment on this one before we go to what probably will be the the bulk, the meat of uh, this little uh, review today? Uh, Death of the Doctor. Anybody want to comment on that last one? No? Right, let's hear a slightly longer clip of Death of the Doctor then. The Doctor is dead. Units will take charge of the funeral in conjunction with the Shanxi. It's Joe God. Long time since I've been called that. Betty getting closer. No, 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 no. Closer and closer. The Shanshi. The whole thing's trapped. This place oh, is tight. Oh, gosh, that was different. Hello, everyone. Who are you? Doctor! Ah, Claw Shanshi for the 15th Human Fleet. I've been looking for you. Rest in peace. I was on a planet. No, 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 never mind that. Run! Come along, Spit! Oh, no, 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 don't slow down! Take me back! It is, it is, it is! I'm sorry, is there a problem? Sorry, I was. slamming it. Now we need to lock it. Come on, use your sonic lipstick. I haven't got a screwdriver. They took it. Oh, how? They do sonic lipsticks now. Uh, we're running out of time. I need you, Sarah, and you, Joe. Need us for what? Remember the old days when we go zooming off to faraway worlds? Oh. Oh, I'm getting 
getting space sick. No, 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 no. Let's get you working properly. Stop, stop, stop. Well, which land of the Crimson Heart? Planet Earth, that way. Bit of a long walk. Sonic, please. Yeah, sorry for the long thing. There was, I mean, I could have played loads of uh, bits on that. Uh, well, must be the standout episode for me. Uh, I, I'm sure everybody will want to have their say, but since Mike is the one that uh, is definitely into this one, Mike, do you want to go first? Well, yeah, there's a, a lot to talk about with this episode. There's uh, Russell T. Davies writing for The New Doctor, which, of course, we've heard different like Davies and Moffat say that when you're writing for the Doctor, you're writing for the character of the Doctor, not just for a specific actor. But, yeah, here we have Davies writing for the current actor. So there's that to talk about. There's the return of Joe Grant and all the references to the classic series through the dialogue and through flashbacks that they had on, on the screen. There's the, there's the whole there's the whole crazy debacle about the doctor saying that, oh, he can regenerate multiple, so many more times than, than the 12. There was all of that crazy ranting and rambling over that. That yeah, there's And then there's the story itself to talk about, which the story itself, in my opinion, is vastly overshadowed by everything that I just mentioned, which, uh, yeah, the, before, the last thing I'll say about this before handing it over is that it, it was nice. It was nice to have all the the references to the classic series with Sarah Jane and Joe Grant's, especially Joe Grant's time with the Doctor. And it was neat to see what her character, at least in Russell's vision, went on to do with her life. And I'll pass it off. Romana, do you want to go on? Oh, I don't know if I should be the one to start. Um, okay. What would you rather wait? Do you want to wait? No, no, I'll go now. Um, <laughs> basically, I really enjoyed this one because I had a map, of course, and it was good to go back. back. I might be a little bit It just kind of, it just kind of, um, why I felt that starting for Doctor Who and starting to repeat it. Like basically, so many things about the screen recipe, like the overheating of the angst, like the you know show you know all bar time all type thing, and then of course there's the the space aliens that look like animals, the you know evil. It's basically I've seen it all before from Russell, and you know it's just like. He's running at the, it's just, it's my Wow, and sorry. And I move on to things. That's just my personal opinion. Um, but that said, I really liked this episode because I loved Matt Smith. I thought Matt Smith was great in that. I thought Joe Grant was great in it. I thought, yeah, Katie Manning was great. I, I genuinely liked the whole story. But just at the same time, I can just see the little bits that, that I can see now that about Russell's writing that's always kind of irks me basically, and I'm just um I seem to move on. Yeah, well, because I think that's going to work. Chris, was amazing. I just want to see him do because I think he's starting to get stale. 
basically. And that's my opinion on it, really. Yeah, well, let me just stop you there. I think we, we might be coming back to you and have a, 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 an extra bit on this later because your audio is breaking up quite badly at this point. So uh, let's it. go to Charlie and we'll, we'll 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 come back to you on it. Charlie? Uh, yeah, I like this one. Um, I even I think uh, it, it's it's nice having uh, Russell T Davies back writing for the show. Especially, I, I think one of my favorite parts is from the beginning, the, the whole little bit. Where um, where Ronnie uh, has Ronnie and her dad and uh, Clyde talking about death and the whole bit, but they they started talking about um, you know how Ronnie's mom re- reacted to to, um, to uh, Ronnie's grandmother dying and that whole bit. And I thought, well, you know, it's, just, it's sort of like it feels like like my favorite bits on, on Sarah Jane Adventures are the bits that don't feel like they're part of a kids show, and that was sort of a it didn't. It didn't talk. Down, it didn't try to patronize kids in that way. Um, and I think um, that, was, that was that was a nice bit. Um, yeah, and I see how the. It's nice seeing that uh, Joe Grant is now Joe Jones, and she did, and she's still married, and and I, I and her whole backstory about um, about, about you know her whole family and twelve grandchildren. Thirteen on the way, and and uh, and they're all their activities that they're doing, and um, all the yeah. You know, it's it's rare that you get a a kid show that that name drops Robert Mugabe, but they, but this but this but this uh, show did it, and um, yeah. And it, it, I, I I watched it again uh, yesterday, part of uh, the Minneapolis Dr. Mino group, and the, the scene that sort of stuck out and it was the was. Um, the scene with the doctor and and Joe on uh, the planet and uh, and him talking about uh, how you know when he was uh, when he was dying and he, him going back and looking over everybody and and um, saying that you know I couldn't I couldn't find you because you were always moving and that that whole scene and that, that was yeah well going played. down the Amazon in a sea chest or something wasn't it yeah exactly yeah I mean that, yeah. that that's that's totally Joe I can I can picture Joe doing all that stuff. And, and, and the thing uh, was, uh, Charles, sorry, it, that actually expanded on what we thought the the, uh, the Tenth Doctor had done, doesn't it? We thought, sure. uh, I mean, obviously the, there was that great long bit where he went and visited people, you know, went to, to, to uh, Donna's wedding and uh, went to see uh, uh, Rose before he'd actually started her adventures with right. her. But from this, it Nicky seems as though... Gone if back only they'd lot, actually yeah. filmed some of this for the end of time, it might have been a lot more watchable. Well, it was well, a, long, I mean, I, I, a long tail end as it was. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't the tail end I objected to. There was just tons of other stuff in it. Right. But I'm, so I'm, ch- just, I, I'm just glad they had it in there. Just so it, yeah. so it uh, And just in the whole bit with um, Sarah rattling off all the other, the old companions, it sort of, it's, it sort of uh, shadows what um, the doctor doing. You know, the doctor looks over, uh, all of the, all of his previous companions and, and Sarah sort of does she's sort of the same way she's sort of like the doctor on earth and all she ra- she rattled off you know Ian and Barbara are married and all that stuff and Ben and Polly and all that, and um, Tegan's uh, in Australia so yeah but yeah. I like the the early one between them before when uh, you know Sarah let slip that she's seen the doctor once, oh yeah. Uh, or and that, the first time. What do you mean the first time? You've seen you more than once. <laughs> up, uh, and, and Sarah Jane embarrassed that she'd been favoured uh, by seeing the doctor. And 
<laughs> yeah, it was beautifully played by them, and uh, uh, it's hard to believe. I, I mean, surely somebody on the show will remember how long it is since Joe Grant has been at. When was the Green Death? Was that? Seventy-three. Uh, wow. So, uh, yeah, absolutely excellent. Um, I'm sure you remember other things. I think everybody might want two goals. We we'll certainly go back to Romano on this one. But uh, Darth, do you want to go talk on this one first? Next, rather. Yeah. No. Um, the surprising thing I think about this one is that Russell T. Davies didn't forget about the rest of the cast. Um, you know, I think we all perhaps went into this thinking, okay, this is just going to be a three-hander with the Doctor and Joe and, and Sarah Jane. But the fact of the matter is that we get some very good character development out of uh, Clyde and Ronnie, and th- that the addition of Santiago is serves to tell us, or to tell our main characters exactly why their lives are so good. And, and there's a nice little story there with Santiago that I think is very valuable for kids. I think also one of the things that surprised me about episode one was the inclusion of Ace Body, um, her father, or the guy who plays her father, um, in an absolutely fatherly way. One of the things that I have missed from series one is the centrality of the parents of the kid across the road to the development of that kid's life. Um, And I think that for far too long, Haresh and Gita have been played mainly for laughs. Certainly they were in the last episode. But um, Ronnie's dad here is acting in a way that, you know, Joseph um, Milson, who played... um, Maria's dad was frequently called upon to act. You know, the the balance, the rudder in the kid's life. And to finally see him having a meaningful thing to say to his kid at a moment when his kid needs help is, you know, A, it's obviously a very Russell T. Davies thing to do. But B, I think it's an important thing for the show to do, to, to have a moment to say, you know, how do you deal with death? Before we find out that actually the doctor's not dead. But it's a very nice moment, and luckily we see that this is not just a one-off thing in this series, but that actually for most of the series, the parents are brought in as sympathetic characters, which they really haven't been for the first two years. Um, so that was lovely. Um, before you get to any of the stuff with the Doctor, you've got really some lovely moments. And One of my favorite things in the episode is a little line between... Um, Clyde and Ronnie, where Clyde is talking to the the Grosk and basically calls him a a little short tits or whatever. And Ronnie just shoots back and says, you want to talk? And I just love that little character moment because, you know, it it acknowledges something that, you know, you you were talking about how in episode one there's this sort of lured thing kind of of maybe showing her cleavage or whatever, which I totally missed. But what I did notice, you know, from episode one is that she is damn taller than him now. Yeah. He really, he, he hit his peak last year and that she kept on growing. And so to have that little exchange there just to, you know, show that they can tease each other about it. I just, I love that. I thought that was great. Um, and, you know, there's silly stuff going on, you know, how in the world did the grass get, pizza to be delivered to a you know a secret facility uh, and you know i guess we're using the same pizza company that torchwood does 
But um, but still, that moment that they're able to have there while hiding out with the Garrosk, I thought it was lovely. Um, so I, I'm glad that, that the kids weren't simply forgotten, because I think that was one of the problems with Wedding of Sarah Jane Smith, was that the kids were there, but they really weren't themselves. They were just, you know, random kids. And Ronnie came off especially poorly, I thought, in Wedding of Sarah Jane Smith, whereas here um, she maybe comes off as a little too smart in some ways. Um, but at least there's something for all for the kids to do, so you don't lose sight of what show you're on. Um, and then, you know, you get to the Doctor and, and the Joe stuff. Uh, I don't know that I... I don't know... <laughs> How much of that is actually Joe the character, and how much of it is Katie Manning? I mean, I, I don't think, think I've heard she's of, acting. <laughs> uh, right. I mean, I've heard too many interviews with her lately to think that that, especially when she goes, "Darling." I mean, I don't remember Joe ever saying, "Oh, darling," you know, <laughs> like she, like Katie Manning actually does in real life. But whatever. I mean, it was it was pleasant. There was there was nice stuff there. Um, she looks a little creepy. I mean, honestly, is it Joan Rivers or is it, you know, Katie Manning? I don't know. Uh, it's it's certainly come up, yeah. Darth, that uh, she was in a car accident a few years ago, so I guess her face oh, has been that, rebuilt. Oh, is that true? Oh, I didn't know that. I yes, yes, yes. She said so at Hooverville. Oh, well then, fair enough. Um, but, I, you know, it, it, there's lovely stuff that's going on there um, with, obviously, the Doctor and, and Joe and Sarah and other people can sort of talk to that. What I really like is Russell T. Davies' use of language, the Russell T. Davies lyricism that's coming back in, you know, some great alliteration like, you know, kites on Kilimanjaro, just that little phrase. Um, And immediately, it's just such a romantic way of putting it so that you don't need to have a lot of dialogue to understand what kind of life Joe has lived. Just saying something simple like that, it's like that is an extraordinary image to put in your mind, an extraordinary way of putting it. Um, you know, the name of the planet, um, that too is one of these whimsical little Russell T. Davies creations that I love um, about his writing. The what about the way I, unit? Oh, yeah. yeah the, I'm unit. going into it. The, the thing I don't like about this uh, episode is really the plot. <laughs> you know, it's really the, uh, <laughs> the way in which this Colonel Kareem changes instantly on a dime. In part one, there is no indication whatsoever she is anything but a loyal and faithful unit employee. And then you get this stupid teaser trailer, which Mike shows... Mike Yates what, moment. Which, oh, which, well, it's not even a Mike... No, Mike Yates was a principled... That was an absolutely principled objection to something that was going on in society. And he disobeyed orders for a reason. But all right. of a sudden you get with this character, you know, you see the... the, the coming next trailer at the end of part one, and you're like, wait a minute. So she turns bad? And then you're thinking, oh, you're going to get some kind of explanation for that. But literally, her first words in, the, in, in part two, she is suddenly evil. And there's no real explanation. And then when we get a one-line explanation, it is the same damn one that we got from um, Donna's first fiancé in The Runaway Bride. It's just... Oh, they promised me that I could go see the universe, so I'm going to do that. I mean, at Wait, least give us... himself. Right. Yeah. And, and the thing is, let's get... There's got to be something more to it than that. It doesn't even make any sense. But then what's even worse about it, you know, is the very ending, where here, here you got Joe and you got Sarah Jane in 
this room where there's going to be an explosion. Boom. They have a way to protect themselves. Do they even turn to this woman? Do they even say, come in here, we'll protect you? No. They don't make one damn effort to save that woman. And then the week before, Sarah Jane was all about trying to save Androvax, even though Androvax clearly is you know, on the scale of bad people. Androvax is a worse person than this Colonel Kareem, clearly. And it, I, I'm not sure what sort of values that sends. I mean, I, I, I was on a message, I think it was on Gallifrey Base or something, and there's, there was somebody there absolutely insisting that Colonel Kareem had what was coming to her. And that is so not a Doctor Who value. Uh, she should yeah. have been saved. She should have been. What really should have happened is that at least Magumbo from you know, Turn Left and Planet of the Dead, she should have come in at the very end and carted off this Colonel Kareem for some kind of justice process. Um, or some, or just, you know, if you don't want to pay that actor, whatever, get somebody in who is clearly of a higher rank than her, cart her off for some kind of justice. I just, it seems so un-Sarah Jane to just li- leave her to die in this explosion. And it, and it really put a bad taste in my mouth uh, about the whole episode. You don't think it was Russell T. Davis doing, uh, giving the uh, the slash fan fiction group something to talk about or write about? Do you? That was well, why. If, if that's true, three women are better than two. Can I just come in for a second and just yeah, go on, Scottish. Well, you know, yeah. Just add add to what Josh um, was saying there that it was a bit in bad taste as well that it didn't at least acknowledged that, you know, the death was wrong. I mean, I think the first thing that happened when they came in after the explosion was uh, Clyde gave a quip about smelling most turkey or something like that. Right. Now the graph did that. That was really bad taste, honestly. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah, whichever. They didn't you know, even acknowledge I mean, the fact that uh, unnecessary death had just happened in that room. So, you know, that, that did kind of Arc me up the wrong way a little bit. But yeah, that's yeah and, that. and I, I don't know. There's also like a real, I mean, if you watch the episode, there is a geography problem that, who is directing this? I think Ashley Way is directing this. Um, that Ashley, he yeah. does with the, the coffin itself. Like I think it's either at the beginning of part two or at the end of part one, the coffin is clearly moved onto the other side of the room. And then when you come into the room, it's on the right side of the doors, which doesn't make any sense geographically. But the effect of that move is that it is moved away from where the Colonel Kareem could have gotten into it. I mean, it's a, it's a further distance for her to get into it. So it's like, you know, they even bend the rules of simple stage direction to make it impossible for this uh, Colonel to catch a break. And I just... I, Ah, it, it just bugs me, the whole ending of it. But, I mean, that's not... At the end of the day, that is not really what the episode is about. The plot isn't what it's about. I mean, the whole... At the end, you know, if you're really going to think about it, this whole deal of let me think my way to making a TARDIS key doesn't make sense anyway because the only one of those two who could possibly have seen the Yale lock key is Joe because, you know, Sarah was always... In with a totally different kind of key. Mm. Um, so how do they have the memories to even make that happen? And again, we get this thing 
the, the, this is a little bit better because this is, you know, again, this is like Last of the Time Lords where it is, you know, you're thinking and you're making something come true, but at least there's a machine. At least there's technology involved. At least there's some kind of something going on where it's not just thinking, but still, it's mostly, you know, let me make something come out of thin air because I'm going to think something, which is the main flaw of the entire series to me. But, right. um, you know, it's good. I think it. I think it's better than the last one. I think it's better than Wedding of Sarah Jane Smith. And I think it's really cool, too, how important Wedding of Sarah Jane Smith was to this. You know, that, you know, it's key that Clyde has the Artron oh, energy yeah. that he got on him from last time. I mean, that's, that's kind of cool that they took the time to make that sort of link. Um, so that's good. Uh, I just wish that in some way... It, but one of the things that really bugs me in general about Sarah Jane Smith is, okay, okay, they can make this link to an episode that happened a year ago, but they have a hard time making any kind of link to the episode that happened last week or next week. Um, and I think, you know, it's only a six-week series. I think we could have more continuing elements than what it does. I think that, you know, you could have had an insert filmed for episodes or story six where... Sarah is talking to Joe over Mr. Smith or something, you know, just something to sort of draw it more together um, like they did in series one. Series one does have a, a narrative arc, but since then we've gotten nothing. And it, it's weird to me that this episode can harken back so clearly to an episode from last year, but not to those around it. I don't, I don't understand that part. But well, I, I really, we... really like it. The, the, the other good thing is just to I'll finish this off. Yeah. This is probably the first time where I have really thought Matt Smith is the doctor. I mean, really where I've been like really totally comfortable with, wow, that's the doctor. Right. Um, we'll go to Tim. Yeah. We'll, we'll get, let everybody else have another chat. They want, but Tim hasn't had his say, but uh, in the, uh, the Wikipedia page there, it says, um, um, when Sarah Jane and Joe are in the lead coffin, as the doctor goes to help them out, he says Smith and Jones, which of course was the title of the first episode in series three. So he, he may have, he may have just tried to uh, get it sorted like that. Anyway, Tim, go on. Oh, well, the one thing none of us have really managed to mention yet is the look of the the Shanxi. For we have um, Russell T. Davis's menagerie again. Uh, this time they're vultures, albeit giant vultures. But by the looks of things, took two puppeteers walking around underneath a black sheet to operate. I think the Anyone voice is helping. Yeah, the voices were very, there was a lot of stuff around them that helped sell them. The yeah. voices were very good, and the the whole um, harp hypnotic thing I thought was very good and raised the the bar of them as characters a bit and did help the fact that they didn't they they certainly looked far from perfect. Yeah, the and, thing that um, put me off was they had the young ones studs in the forehead, you know, the the diamond studs in the forehead. I thought that was a bit daft. You know, as though creatures it, I, would have... It wasn't so much that for me, Dave. It was just the pure and simple fact that it's Russell T. Davis. It has to be something out of his local zoo again. Well, and he uses everything twice, doesn't he? I mean, this he obviously has is... the big book of animals somewhere on his research shelf, and he goes, OK, which one haven't I used? Oh, birds, vultures, they'll do. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, yeah, like with his um... Slovene and Blatherine and his... Uh, He's, he's green conkers. He green... does not, not look like animals. Well, yeah, but like, then he's, con he's, he's red conquered ones and he's green conquered ones. And he had that with the grass as well. 
Yeah, yeah. Blue grass, hmm. normal grass. Yeah, see, I said he's repeating himself. Needs to move on. But uh, just to, while, while I, you're on, I, uh, we're, uh, go on, Tim, finish up. Sorry, Tim, go I ahead. Quite, quite like the appearance of the, the, the grosk to give them their proper pronunciation oh. for this. Good lad. Um, well, it was, it, it, was, it was a nice nod to the old Doctor Who days where um, uh, a costume will show up in John Pertwee and then a couple of years later they'll be going, oh, we've run out of costume budget. Uh, quick, respray that one. It'll do. <laughs> That's almost exactly, literally what they're... Admittedly, they may have done the modern equivalent and sort of CGI'd it a different colour, but uh, anything that gives Jimmy V a bit more work can't be all bad. Uh, the other thing none of us have mentioned is um, uh, what 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 has proved to have been the, the, not only the quickest... Uh, spoiler so far because it broke onto the internet before the episode even hit television uh, with there being a, a premiere of this one at the BFI and that's the um, controversial or not line about um, uh, where Clyde says to the Doctor oh how many times can you regenerate and he just says oh 507 yeah Mike mentioned it briefly but yeah he didn't yeah. Say, yeah. which is an entirely throwaway but um, clearly it's Russell T. Davis doing this other habit of his of fan baiting, and he clearly, oh, yeah. um, he clearly, um, I wouldn't wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be remotely surprised if he he just trawls around Gallifrey Base, not necessarily looking for things that will intentionally wind people up, but I wouldn't be surprised if he was on there after this aired at the BFI, going, "Ooh, what are people saying about it already?" Do you think uh, Moffat was in, uh, consulted or? Even instructed? Or what? I wouldn't Apparently be surprised if he was consulted, if only politely, because let's face it, Moffat's in charge of the show now. Yeah. Apparently, according to Russell, they do. Apparently, according to Russell, him and Stephen do talk to see where, what they're doing and see that they're not interfering with each other's universes, basically. That's mm. what I've heard. Um, but yeah, it, it's. I, I really think it was just a throwaway line, basically. The doctor wanted Clive to stop talking to him, so he just said something to shut him up. That's what I think. Because the doctor and, um, lies about his age, he lies about everything. He probably doesn't even know how many times he can regenerate, and he just made a number off the top of his head. Honestly, that's, well, that's the time. And, and, and an easy get-out clause is that after the time war, all bets are off. Yeah. Right. If, if we if we take as a starting point the fact that the Time Lords themselves have some kind of control over how many times a Time Lord can regenerate, if you take them and that power away from the Doctor, as he's already said, they're they're not around to regulate the way people travel in time anymore. So yeah. there's obviously umpteen other things they can't regulate. Um, Russell was bound to pick a silly number. I mean, it's a wonder he didn't pick six, six, six. Well, yeah, he's, it, he's he likes his silly numbers and he likes his silly names. I think it was just more or less um, like you know, with the time war, it seems kind of unpractical to have a thirteen regeneration limit. The time was most likely just made themselves have more because you know you're going to be losing a lot of people in, in time wars. You want you have a decent amount of regeneration. That's like he's run out of time wars. So that's, that's another theory. Right. Well, I said that everybody should have a might want to have two goes on this. So let's just go back to Mike and see if there's yeah. any thing he wants to repeat or come back on. Mike. 
Yeah, something that Davies has said in, a, in an interview about the whole regeneration thing is that he never expected people to take it seriously. He expected people to just treat treat that as a throwaway line. And other things in Doctor Who that I think of, uh, and I'll just say this quickly so we can go to go to Scardis, is that the Doctor lies, and, and the Pandora opens, and the and the Big Bang, especially the, the in the Big Bang Rubber song, said that the Doctor lies, and this is just the Doctor it's just saying. Yeah, it's it's just the doctor saying something to 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 pass the moment, and I'll pass it on to Scardis now. Yeah, uh, sorry, you did talk a little bit before. I suppose I was counting that, but my my no, I'm not making any no more sorry, mistakes. No, I've, yeah, no, I was just coming in on um, I think what was this dark. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I'm sure you've got more to add. Yeah, I thought it was an excellent episode. Uh, well, excellent story, I should say, more than the point, and uh, the real star of it. I mean, Joe Grant, I thought Matt Smith, you know, he was absolutely more Doctor than David Tennant was back uh, in the one with Sarah Jane. There, he was kind of just finishing off and just trying to get out of there. Uh, Matt, Matt came in, he was just Doctor from the start, you know. I was different. hello everyone, and space is taken, and uh, ooh. And, then, and I love that bit when he uh, came out when he went, they went into uh, the dorm, and he comes back out and he says, "Sorry, I slammed the door. That was rude." And he closes in and off he goes again. So I, I thought I thought it was bad. But what really sold me as you know when he was giving it his all as the doctor, if you can remember when he was telling Joe and Sarah to overload it, that he was telling them to remember everything, every monster every planet and you can just see the way he just put his head up against the door and he's just like really egging them on push the memories and really get it going that for me uh showed that he was given just as much as the doctor in this series as he would in any episode of doctor who and that's why i thought for me anyway matt smith was by far and away the star of this um two-parter um joe jones was great and that was grand and just another point I should point out as well that uh, on after part one, I just I was having looking on, on Twitter, and I was looking at the hashtag SJA because that's what most people were using on Twitter to discuss Sarah Jane Adventures, and I could see all these some of these new Who fans were like, oh my God, he's given another character Jones surname. What is <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I don't realise the history. I did, yeah. I was like, actually, and I, I actually said to him, actually, the uh, the character of um, Jones, um, what was his first name? The uh, the do- uh, the the doctor, the Welsh doctor. Um, yeah. Clifford. his first name. Charlie P. Five points. Clifford. Yeah, it's Clifford. Clifford. Right. There we go. Cliff. Right. Cliff Jones was actually a Barry Let invention. And a tweet I got back was, uh, who was Barry Lett? Uh, is he some writer? Oh, my God. So that's a couple of things we need, then. <laughs> Classic <laughs> series repeats on BBC Two, and an extensive documentary about the history of Doctor Who, particularly in the 50th anniversary year. Maybe a rerun. <laughs> I, um, didn't Who and Me was on BBC Radio 7 there a while ago, I seem to recall. So next time that's on, we'll point everybody in that direction. But yeah, I did point out from that actually Barry that basically did Russell T Davies' old job back in the 70s. And actually made the point the late 
Barry Letts did Russell T Davies job back in the seventies, so that was that correction done there as well. But yeah, back to um this story I, I thought it was excellent of Matt Smith's performance. You know, he gave it as just as much as he did um when he was in Doctor Who, the T V stories, and I couldn't really say that about uh David Tennant back in the Web of Sarah Jane. Now he did excellent but just Matt Smith was more the doctor than David Tennant was the doctor in the wedding Sarah Jane, and that's what I have to say about it. At that point, though, uh, uh, something that I pointed out here in chat is that is that you have to realize that back when Tennant was was playing the doctor on the, that story, Wedding of Sarah Jane Smith, that was after he had finished filming uh, the, the End of Time. So technically, that he was be, through playing yeah. the doctor. It had been a while since. So. Yeah. Last ever line recorded as the doctor was. Him telling, you two um, spit talking spot. to Biden Yeah, that's it. You two spit spot. Last one. Yeah, I yeah. yeah. Okay, well, no, I will. I will say there was one main saving grace for David Tennant back in Winter Jane. That was when, uh, just as they were leaving the tar- uh, two things. One, uh, when he was up against the trickster, the the face to face of the trickster, and secondly. Last time he had Sarah on um, on the TARDIS, and the two of them like the, the don't for, they repeated the don't forget don't you forget me speech again. They they were two saving points on that. But overall, in this and um, actually we we'll go to this point as well. Matt, Katie, and uh, Elizabeth in characters on the TARDIS. That was a nice uh, moment as well, and a nice that they didn't um, they they didn't go down the path of oh I'm the last of my race again that they just did it. Sarah and the doctor just had that knowing look when Joe said, oh, you're getting trouble with the Time Lord. That, that just knowing look, that that was a nice touch rather than actually, Joe, I'm the last of my kind. Like, they didn't go down that path. And Yeah, he didn't want to yeah. downbeat bits on that, yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, I mean, anybody else want to have any more say on this one? Because we're still, we've got a number of stories still to cover. Darth, do you want to come in back on anything? No, I'm happy to move ahead. Right, okay, um, then... I'd like to jump oh. in again quickly. Um, I just probably should make out that, you know, I did like this story, but um, I'm just finding myself a lot more critical than I used to be in the past um, for various reasons I won't go into here, but basically, yeah, that's, that was why I was um, basically Oh, yeah. Thinking, I've not heard you being thinking. so critical of Mr. T. Davis before. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you probably all know the reason why. Which I won't go into here, but basically, yeah, like I just can see, I can, see, I can see the, the the kind of repeating trends that he does, and I just think it's time for him to either take a few years off so he can come back with a new, you know, you know, new ideas. He's or, relaunching your torch yeah. for you. <laughs> yeah, and I don't want him to. <laughs> I know. I know. Seriously, don't get me started on that. But anyway, um, right. Yeah. So basically, I did enjoy this episode. For me, it was really all about, you know, Matt Smith, Katie Manning, Elizabeth Sladen, and the story of the, those characters interacting and how that all played out. Not about the plot, because as Darth said, the plot was a bit meh, and um, it was just lots of, you know, repeated trends that we've all seen before. And um, But Matt, the, you know, the Doctor, Kate, um, the Doctor, the Doctor Joe and Sarah Jane saved it for me. And probably made this one of my favourite Sarah Jane episodes, probably of all time, basically. And I'll leave it there. 
Okay, well, uh, we'll uh, just bring one more closing point on the story, and that is that um, if they want to bring back, if you thought Katie Manning's had quite a bit of work done, I'll tell you this, if they want to bring William Russell back for the 50th anniversary, uh, uh, 50th anniversary story, he's going to have to have done very major work done for, for that. Apparently. Yeah, that, that line did kind of annoy me, because it, it well, that, kind of wrote wrote out the possibility of doing that. No, because it's very short of someone else playing the part and his voice being dubbed over. No, but it's very clear in the line at the beginning of the speech that she is not sure about her facts. And especially when you get to the Ian and Barbara thing, she says something like, I don't know, or you don't know. know, I mean, she shrugs her shoulders. It's very clear that she is not in command of the facts, really, about any of that. All she's done is Mm -hmm. done an Internet search. That's it. So I don't I don't take any of that as a gospel really. Yeah, not official. It's not rock solid canon, I suppose. That's a good point. Mm. Mm. Okay, let, let me uh, move us along. Uh, well, let's move to the empty planet, and I've got uh, a clip of that. Big and yellow. Big and red. Oh, well, then there's two. Yeah, I think they've got guns in their fingers. Gavin saved me. Oh, look, the other one nearly caught me. Saved you how? Captain Pin at it. Oh, that's my boy. Seeing those robots, though, relief, isn't it? Not exactly what I was thinking, no. Well, at least it's something we can see, something we can deal with. And how are we supposed to deal with two big robots? Chuck a few more bins. Have you seen this? What is it? You believe us now, then? You're not scared of us. You won't know what the these things are. It's just a language. Well, it's more like math. Equations. Well, maybe that is their language. They're robots. What do you expect them to speak Spanish? If it is a signal, who's it for? It's only us. Maybe it is for us. Gavin, you don't understand this, do you? No, of course not. I don't know anything about this stuff. Okay, which way did they go? Oh, uh, up there. All right, we'll follow them. Wait, what? They'll kill us. We've got to track them. If they landed nearby, they might be going back to base, you know, some sort of spaceship. Well, we need to get away from them. The more we learn about them, the more we understand, the better chance we've got. You don't have to come. Wait back here for us. No. What if you need saving again? And of course, after the uh, the Doctor episode in the last one, we're now on a Sarah Jane Light episode of sorts, really. And they're uh, Clive and Riley putting into practice some of the things they've learned from being with Sarah Jane, and uh, definitely uh, coping particularly well. I thought um, I, I liked the way the robots were envisioned. Uh, I, I particularly liked the way they moved the head. Probably achieved quite simply with a helmet with a torch on the top, but I thought it was very effective with the the high shoulders. Uh, they worked extremely well, and uh, I'll ha- perhaps say something more in a moment. But uh, I won't go to uh, Mike because he's already said that the last one was his thing, uh, the one he's only watched. What about uh, Charlie? Do you want to go first this time? Sure. Um, yeah. This, again, this is one of those episodes where the setup was good, and then the resolution was sort of rushed and sort of, I don't know, disappointing for me. Um, it was it was nice seeing Ronnie and Clyde um, on their own, and um, and you know all the, all the it's you know the whole uh, air, the whole um, sort of story about you know having a, a empty planet 
and and where did everybody go? And that 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 was that's something that's always sort of interesting for me. Um, yeah, and then and then and then you know just that little that little bit at the beginning with uh, um, we get to see Clyde's mom again, which is nice. We haven't seen. I, mean, I always she was nice uh, sort of um, character to be introduced in series two, and uh, so hopefully I don't know if we'll ever see her see her again. But it's nice seeing her again. And a scene with, uh, of course, Ronnie's dad. Um, yeah, and then just, uh, it, it, just the whole idea with this whole this whole Prince thing. This, yeah, I, I don't know. It just, it's just one of those things where, like, you know, he he gets taken away, and um, the the, ro- the robots can't see him because he's wearing a little ring. So he takes the ring off, and I when the, that whole bit with it, like, oh, you have to take the ring off, and I'm thinking. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he doesn't want to take the ring off because and he takes the ring off. Oh, I want to go home. Oh, great. That's you know just sort of eh. but a bit of a again, perception filter, really, wasn't it? Yeah, there's not perception filters going on in this this season. No, there's, it's not a perception filter. It's a bio dance, which is in the Runaway Bride. It's a totally different thing. Right, okay. Thank. You. Sorry. <laughs> but the whole this whole thing, and the whole. I mean. They only take uh, Luke, not Luke, um, Clyde and Ronnie are the only ones left because of the Jadoon. But it's okay to take away everybody else. And, you know, that one upset the uh, the Shadow Proclamation in any way. Um, and just... <laughs> and, and, of course, it, they don't it, kill, they don't move the pets, do they? So the kids are not yeah, worried yeah, about their, their yeah. hair. And just, in fact, they just send, send down two robots <laughs> to look for this, per, this, this person who they can't find anyways. Because because of the bio dampener, it's just uh, yeah. I, know. I mean, it's, 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 it's two robots to every village that might have worked. Yeah, if they yeah if they had a throwaway line, yeah, if they if they had two robots, you know, you know, in every yeah every city, every street, or something like that, every country, you know. Just, but you no, know, and the, I don't know how that was weird. It's like how did they know where he was if they can't see him? Yeah, whatever. I probably yeah. pay too much time to this. My least favorite of the episode of this series is this one. But did you, did you feel as though uh, that's the storyline? How did you feel as though the main characters coped? Where, did, I, I mean, did you feel of it as a, a part one? A light? Is, I, part, I mean, it's just yeah, the way um, and um, yeah, that, that bit with um, Clyde. Um, he makes breakfast for both of them, and then he pays, he puts money in the restaurant, and <laughs> says, "I would have done that before I met Sarah." I thought that's great. And that that little bit like that, it's fine. But and then you know we get the plot. <laughs> right. So. Right. Well, uh, let's go, uh, Tim. I think Tim went one of the last last times. So do you want to go now, Tim? Oh uh, yeah, sure, Dave. Um, this was one of those episodes I was watching it uh, with the fascination of how did they make this? How did they make the streets so empty? And uh, so um, a little. Twitter of, uh, check of Twitter that night revealed from uh, locals who'd spotted their town on TV that it was filmed in Newport, which in railway terms is about a few minutes outside um, Cardiff. Sort yeah, of the next major. Oh, you, you, you've, you've actually been there, Amar. It's on my list of places to visit yeah. next year. It's, which, it uh, actually shouldn't be. It's probably part of the, on the list of places you yes, um, should Yes, someone, someone who grew up there. <laughs> who I follow on Twitter says it's an extremely dull place, but my only real motivation for going is the fact that they've got a police box. 
I'm <laughs> sure it's lovely, listeners. Well, yeah, it, it, yeah, it must yeah, have something lovely. because they filmed by Sarah Jane. Folks who I don't know if they filmed the any torch with there, but they've at very least anybody. filmed Sarah Jane and Doctor Who there, so it must have something going for it. Yeah, it does, but that's yeah. it. <laughs> that's exactly. it. Not far from Cardiff. <laughs> Did it feel as Sarah Jane like one? Thought as as Sarah Jane light episodes go, this was among the best ones because um, the two actors who do have to carry the story did pull it off pretty well, and they had a good, um, good, interesting idea to to hang the thing, albeit not remotely original. But it was a yet yet another take on a. a uh, an idea that's been used so many times now. It is a bit of a science fiction cliche. Well, as I say, it was Star Trek, wasn't the, it? The, uh, yeah, the so master of whatever he's called. So many times. I mean, on big screen and small screen in 28 Days Later, in uh, Day of the Triffids, most famously, really. Most effectively, certainly. But, um, no, I, I was fascinated to see how well they pull it off on a Sarah Jane budget, which they always admit is lower than a Doctor Who budget. I mean, they often say the Doctor Who budget is not is no bigger than your average budget for a drama on BBC One. It's simply the way they divide the money up throughout the episodes that makes some more expensive than others. Uh, but the Sarah Jane budget is certainly lower than the Doctor Who, so I, th- I think the 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 main way they managed to pull it off was limiting the amount of locations they used. But um, the the plot itself in this one was, well, it's all right. Uh, but um, I think the, the the two leads and the, the robots kind of made it, and the, the alien prince guy was, um, was a little annoying, but it was all right on the whole, I guess. I don't really have anything more to add on this one. Okay, let's go to Scardis then. I'm working backwards up the order from last time. Yeah, uh, for me, I thought, you know, we, we get these situations in Doctor Who where you think, oh, these this two-parter could have been a one-parter or this one-parter could have been a two-parter. For me, now I know all Sarah Jane's stories are two-parters uh, since since the start, but for me, I thought this one could have easily been a one, uh, told in the 25-minute slot. There was, I thought, a lot of padding, particularly in the justeat.co.uk cafe that seemed to feature a lot. Uh, in uh, last, there was a lot of scenes where they were just sitting talking in, in in the cafe about how they were Adam and Eve. That for me was a lot of padding, and I just thought that you know it it, it dragged out too much. Um, as for the best Sarah Jane Knight episode, that is still by far and away whatever happened to Sarah Jane from from series one. Uh, but going back to this story, yeah, just it, it was a cool story and an excellent plot, but it took a lot to drag it out to um, two parts. And indeed, uh, there was a very long trailer at the end of part two for the following story, um, Lost in Time. So yeah, a good story, but it struggled a lot to fill out the two parts, um, the two twenty-five minutes slots, in my opinion. Okay, let's go to Darth. Um, well, I, I have to say I'm completely on the other side of the fence. Then, uh, to me, this is the best story of the season. Um, 
because I think it's trying to take Sarah Jane in uh, Adventures into a different area. Um, Sarah Jane Adventures has always been to me and the most prudish children's show made on the planet um, for this age. I mean, if you look at iCarly, if you look at uh, a number of different Australian kids' show, if you look at K-9, the whole idea of romance is entirely a part of all of those series. Um, and it's something that is, for some reason, just really hard to get writers of Doctor Who in the Doctor Who universe to write about. And we've, we finally are seeing, you know, from about the gift that is last season's season finale onward, that there is this hint that there's something going on between Clyde and Ronnie. And um, what I liked about this episode is that it, you know, continued what we've gotten a little bit of each story so far. You know, you have Clyde and Ronnie sort of holding hands inadvertently in Vault of Secrets. Um, you've got some kind of something going on, uh, some little bickering as if they're a couple already in Death of the Doctor. And yeah. here, you Can know, you you've got... Five? I'm staring at your bottom. Your bottom. Yeah. Um, and here, you know, you've got them actually, finally, everybody's gone. they got no choice but to have an episode that sort of centers on them. And still, it didn't go as far as I would have liked or as, as far as I would think that most of the kids would like. I mean, this is, it's, it's almost unrealistic that after four years of Sarah Jane Adventures, nobody's kissed anybody. That doesn't make any sense. That's not like any other kids show for this age in the English-speaking world that I know of. Um, but at least, you know, you do get some very good, solid moments here. And I, I really liked the script um, in the first place because Gareth Roberts is writing something for Sarah Jane Adventures that doesn't involve the trickster. I thought that was just great in and of itself. Oh, yeah. Um, secondly, I thought it was a damn funny script. And that, unfortunately, occasionally, um, Angela and... Um, Angelie and Daniel weren't really up to the comedy potential of the script. And certainly the, the kid who played the prince, Gavin, whoever that is, they all sort of missed a lot of the comic potential in the script. But even with that gone, um, the, the acting was sufficient that you could realize, oh, that, that's actually kind of a funny line. But that, that whole bit where um, Clyde is trying to push that they are Adam and Eve, that they're the last two on the planet. And um, Joe Mason. And Ronnie is like, uh, no, we're really, don't, don't do that. Like, there was more in the script than what I think Angelique gave there, but it's still there. And the script was, was lovely, filled with lovely little character moments. As for the plot, you know, I don't think that the plot is any worse than, you know, anything else. I don't think it's, I, don't, I think it's better than the plot for, Death of the Doctor, I, I agree that it is derivative. I agree that we've seen it before. Um, I don't think it's especially padded. Um, I think it's you know, a, merely a character study. And character studies, by definition, move slower than you know, true action adventure pieces. But I think it, a character study is what we need, really, to, to get us to understand at this point, like Romano was saying much earlier in the podcast, you know, that our new team on the show is Clyde and Ronnie. And that's what you're going to have to deal with. It's really not Luke anymore. Um, so you need an episode. I think that is just 
Clyde and Ronnie. And I think this episode or the story does quite well in that regard because it gives us lots to, to deal with, you know, the power struggle between the two. Who is actually in control? I, I love the moment where um, Ronnie said, um, what, you think you're in charge because you've been here longer? I mean, because that's a legitimate sort of question. I mean, that's the kind of question that actually I was thinking as an audience member. Okay, if it is the two of them behind, who is actually in charge? Um, and it's neat that they have that sort of power delineation thing. Um, I, I just wish that the acting was a little bit better. And I think it's actually more Daniel who's failing here than probably Angelie, because we see in later episodes where it's Angelie against other people, especially in the next episode. Um, that she is fantastic. I mean, I mean, we've known that, really. Angelie is mm. the best actor, period, on the show. Um, since Maria left, she is clearly the best actor. But I think, in a way, I, somehow there's not the romantic chemistry that there should be between these two, because obviously the writers are now moving in that direction, but somehow they're not quite sparking off of each other as much as maybe they should by this point. Um, but still... I love this two-parter. I was, you know, uh, despite its faults of unoriginality, I, I, I was actually very curious what was going on, um, you know, and actively looking, you know, are we going to see any animals? Are we going to see anything in the background? And I'm very appreciative of Ashley Way as a director. You know, Ashley Way, we haven't really mentioned Ashley Way now in, in the same way that, um, oh, um, oh, hell, who's Davros? Nightmare Julian Man. Bleach. Yeah, in the same way that Julian Bleach completes his triptych this year, Ashley Way completes his as well, having directed Torchwood, Doctor Who, and now Sarah Jane. Um, and you can kind of see why. I mean, he, he's a competent director, and this is this is kind of a hard directorial challenge, really. I mean, to and it, it actually might be more of a you know hard third AD job, really keeping the shot clean of stuff. But still, I, I thought that Ashley Wade directed this thing with a lot of pace. I, I don't know... I I don't know if he could have gotten a little bit more out of his actors or not. Um, but but still, glad to see him directing Doctor Who. I hope... I mean, Sarah Jane. And I hope that next year, in Series 5, or at least the three that are remaining to be filmed, I hope we're going to see somebody like you know Adam Smith or Toby Haynes or whatever, because every year that we do Sarah Jane, we get some of the directors from the last year of Doctor Who. So I'm hoping that we're going to be seeing even more directorial talent filtered down from Doctor Who. All right. Can I move? Uh, anything, can I move on to Romana now? Or any last yes. things to just add? Okay. Nope. Uh, Romana, we get bicycles. No bell on the bicycle, but did you enjoy this episode? My bike got a bell. Um, but yeah, um, I I was baffled this one. I thought this one was really good. I mean, this is one I avoided watching for a long time just because I wasn't all that excited about it. But um, but I did really enjoy it. Again, it's it's made me appreciate the Clyde and Ronnie characters because up until now I've really not really liked them. I'll be honest. I don't know why. Um, I can't really put it into words. But um, I like that. Um. Most of this episode I was spent looking at the streets and feeling really nostalgic for England because the streets I was running around looked exactly where I used to live, even though I lived in London and this is obviously Newport. Um, like the chicken shop, the clothing shop, all that kind of thing. It's just, it was all very 
all very nostalgic for me. Um, and so I really enjoyed that part of it. But the story in itself was, you know, it was, it was, it served its purpose. But for me, it was fantastic. So that's really what I have always enjoyed more about um, stories like, you know, character-driven stories as opposed to action shows. I always watch the characters as opposed to stories. And if I like the characters, then I don't care what stories they say, what the stories are like, um, because I'm enjoying watching the characters. Um, and good characterization is always a good key to uh, something if I, well, I will enjoy it or not. And that's really all I can really add on this one, I think. Um, to keep it brief. But okay. yeah, I enjoyed it. Uh, right, uh, Mike probably doesn't want to say anything, but have I missed anything in text that needs picking up or not? Do we know? Uh, while Mike has a quick look over the text, anybody else want to have a final comment on this one? We've got uh, two more stories still to cover. I'll take that as a no. Mike, anything we need to reference to that one before we go on to... Uh, Lost in uh, time? Uh, not really. We've just had some plus where that that line was a reference from, and uh, that's pretty much what's going on. And if you're curious about what's going on in the chat, you can always check the t the with the uh, chat grabber on TalkShoe support. Uh, that's how you can find out what's going on in the chat. But we've just had reference over you know where what that line is referenced from, and some commentary on perception filters and Doctor Who lately. Okay, cheers. So let's move on to uh, the fifth story in the series, which was Lost in Time. And here's a little clip. 13 Burnham and Road is where Sarah Jane Smith lives. And it's home to things way beyond your imagination. There's an extraterrestrial supercomputer in the wall. Her son, a genetically engineered boy genius. A schoolgirl investigator across the road. And a whole universe of adventure. Right here on the doorstep. Ready? Always. This is a time window. Find the objects and they will bring you home. Buckingham and Bullet. This is the Tower of London. What are you looking at? Jim. I see it. You're right. I'm not serious. Ta-da! Eight o'clock. That's it. Good morning. Must be what that junk shop bloke's after. It's coming from the left. Sarah Jane and her friends do not return soon. They'll be trapped in the past. Push it down. And by the way, people listen to this, obviously I'm not giving uh, complete breakdowns of the storyline of each one. We're assuming that if you're listening to this, you have seen them. But basically, again, the three of them are in three different time zones. Um, Sarah Jane Smith, uh, uh, Clyde and Rani. Um, which again builds on the last episode in terms of the, them coping with themselves. I didn't think the, the, the whole idea of, of the, the quest that they had, as it were... Uh, was right. I mean, they kept going on about this object can be anything. But then at the end, um, there's the case that neatly fits 
three outlines of three specific objects that they end up finding. Uh, basically, that seemed to me to be just um, the setup to provide, uh, you know, the gameplay. I don't know what other people thought about that, but um, uh, who'd like to go first this time? Anybody want to jump in? No? I'll jump in. Well, um, I'll jump in if... Oh. Go on. Oh, no, go, go ahead, Oh, uh, well, I'll, I'll jump in if to start off by saying it's probably the most distinctive guest character of the series, most mysterious guest character of the series, even if it does have that major plot flaw. And uh, by the end of the story, our heroes are not quite sure whether they've been working for this gentleman in his antique shop or his parrot. Oh, and uh, it, it was shot at a location I visited. Because they show up and they say, for some reason, Clyde describes it as a junk shop. But uh, I can tell you they filmed this at Jacob's Antiques Market, which is literally just around the corner from Cardiff Station. And has also been used as a location for Victory of the Daleks. And that story we all love, Love and Monsters. <laughs> But I'll let Darth, I'll let Darth dive in now. Okay. Mm. Well, I was just going to um, start off with you, with your objection there, um, Dave, and say that I mean, in a way, I suppose it kind of can read that that doesn't make any sense that the uh, the guy's little case has the uh, spaces already in it for those particular items. But on the other hand, you got to remember he is looking through a crystal ball at what they're doing. So he's got the opportunity, one would assume, to notice, along with each one of our three characters, exactly what the device is, and therefore shape the the foam or whatever that he's got in the in the case to match that particular device. So I mean, there is an explanation for it, even if the script doesn't really provide it. It would have been nice, I suppose, if it wasn't so damn literal. But um, you, you can get around that. Uh, having said that, I don't really like this thing that much. Um, I think it is when you unravel it and you really just look at the individual plot, plot strands, what the hell happens? Nothing really happens to any one of our three adventurers. Um, <laughs> I mean, you got Ronnie, and she struggles a bit with somebody who's trying to kill Queen Jane and then Queen Jane gets marched out of the palace. That's about all that really happens to her. And with Clyde, it's even, oh, the Clyde thing is ridiculous. Because that's just uh, land on the beach, look at and see who these Germans coming up. They go into the church, follow the Germans. The Germans see them in the church. And then, oh, there's this magical device that they don't know what it is. And then Clyde distracts the Germans while the other guy sort of implausibly rushes by three, four people to grab this Thor's hammer thing and then rushes back by those four people and somehow escapes. And all four of those people have guns. Yeah. They're, 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 oh, that's just terrible. And it then seems the to be laying game. down a, a puzzle adventure to me, really. Oh, it is. I mean, it, let's face it. This is, you know, the key to time writ small. Or, really, it's just the infinite quest again. Um, and then the thing that really bugs me is the Sarah Jane thing, because that is, that is literally 
let me think my way through time travel. And that's mm-hmm. all it is. I mean, it really, it literally is Sarah Jane. After saying, there's no such thing as ghost, then immediately saying, oh, but you can click your heels together and think your way forward in time. Which I think is just one of the most ridiculous things ever come across. And again, it's the infection of the Moffat, of the Big Bang. It just really pisses me off that we have this element in the, in Doctor Who now that is completely mystical. That is completely oh, I just think it and it'll it'll happen. All right, so I hate that part of it. Now there were a lot of things I really liked. I really did like um, Angelique's performance. I really did. I found myself. Mm-hmm very interested in the Queen Jane thing. And I really wish that the episode had been about going back to Queen Jane's time and trying, you know, that all three elements were in that time period and that, you know, you had maybe Angelie in the palace and you had maybe Sarah Jane somewhere else and you had Clyde maybe with... A whipping boy. (laughs) No, Clyde with the Marian forces maybe or something like that. Um, So that, that, that would have been lovely, really. But... That was, nevertheless, that one strand, even though really nothing happens in it of any significance, it was so well acted and it was so poignant and emotional that, um, and educational, because it was basically right. There's only one thing about that that I thought was even slightly historically wrong, and it's so minor, it's nothing we're talking about. I just thought it was a lovely, you know, character study of what happens to somebody on the night before they think they're going to get killed, really, even though we know Jane didn't actually get killed that night she gets killed you know several months later but still there's a lovely little character moment um, yeah i i think um uh, was it um tin dog on his his podcast said you know uh, that's getting kids going to look up history you know the 12 day quick yeah i would think so because it's i mean it's such a surprising notion when when you say it out loud the nine day king queen or whatever that 12 day i think yeah with, uh, whatever. But I mean, anyway, the short term. It was queen. nine days on. Um, uh, it was nine days on in oh, the continuity of Sarah Jane. Okay. But but anyway, I mean, it's such a it's such a compact little phrase that if you've never come across that phrase before, you'd be like, "What? There was a queen for you know that short a period of time? Let me go, you know, go to Wikipedia at least and look up something." Um, so yeah, I think that serves a, a lovely, you know, historical remnant of a, a mandate for the at least Doctor Who. I think it's great. Um, the rest of it, you know, I, I really like seeing Gwyneth Keyworth um, because uh, she was in The Great Outdoors, which is a BBC Three comedy series uh, that happened a couple of weeks ago, and she's a great actor. She's she's the one that basically plays Sarah Jane's assistant i guess in the edwardian period and she even though i thought that 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 strand was a terrible plot she acted her socks off and i i would i honestly when when there was that whole business of taking the key at the end i thought i hoped that she would come through to the modern era and that she would be a new part of the team because she's really mm-hmm. i thought she was a great actor and I would love to see her as sort of something more permanent. Instead, of course, what we got was an exact duplication of Blink, which, again, the Moffat infection. Um, if it worked well enough on Blink, let's just use the same thing again and have the grandchild of you know this character come through and deliver the key at the very end. And I was like, I was literally rolling my eyes at that point. I was like, come on, 
We've seen this before. We've seen it before not that long ago. Let's not do this again. And yet they did it, and it, and it really pissed me off. And I thought, too, you know, that this mysterious shopkeeper, interesting idea, you know, and I'm down with, you know, some area, some level of mystery about characters. That's fine. Um, but so mysterious that we don't understand anything um, I thought that was a little unfortunate. Unless, of course, they're going to bring him back next series, which, of course, they may have already done. We don't know, you know, what's in the first three episodes that are already in the can uh, for Series 5. So maybe they'll bring him back. But I thought it was mm. just a little bit too much mystery, a little bit too much like, what the hell just happened? Um, kind of like the whole Billis thing in Torchwood Series 1 where that character just showed up and looked like it was going to be an interesting character and then just suddenly wasn't there anymore and you got no explanation whatsoever. Um, so I don't know. If they give this more definition, I kind of think it, it might be good. But if they don't... Oh, he's gone. Yeah, we just lost you for a minute, Darth. We'll, we'll come back to you. Uh, let me just play it out that's in text. Um, uh, Aloran D-I-C, the ID... I see. Uh, completely agree. I Google Jane uh, Le- Jane Grey after this, and of course it confirms nine days. Uh, Romana, do you want to talk on this one? Um. Okay. Um. I I enjoyed this. I thought, like, I can see what Darth's saying. Out of you know, there's no whole lot that goes on, but I really enjoyed the historical parts because um, my favourite episodes of Doctor Who have always been the historical stuff. So for me to see Sarah Jane go deal with this area, I thought was good, and um, everyone who in it was marvelous, basically. And um, and agree, yeah. The 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 guy with the parrot is a bit mysterious, but I hope he comes back and or it's explained, because um, yeah, well, we don't want another villa situation like what Zach just said, um, because yeah, because he seems like an interesting character. He could be quite could become like something more like the new trickster, could be a recurring villain or ally that comes into the constantly comes into the story. But um but yeah. Um yeah I'll just read that thing so she said um Billis has been expanded in a tortured novel. Um that's true, I haven't read that one yet. It's Twilight Streets I think. So um but still. People shouldn't have to go into the you know, the um the the books to get things that should be explained in the show, but that's another story. But yeah, no, back to this. Um, but yeah, no, I I enjoyed it overall. Um, and my mind's been blank, and that's all I can really think about to say. Okay. About it, but it's well, good. Okay, we've still got Scardis and Charlie. He wants to go first. Okay, I'll go next. Off. Um, yeah, it was. I thought it was an excellent story. Um, well. The three stories I thought were were pretty good. Um, yeah, the Nazi side of things was a bit far fetched, but what I appreciated about them, and no one has brought this up yet, is that although yes, they did hold back on the guns, but they didn't hold back on the racism. You know that uh, they were no problems in calling uh, Clyde, you know, a bit take out in the country, because uh, um, the the guy he was with there was an evacuee. So, you know, he was like, um, oh, yeah. well, there's this tick out in the country. And also, that they didn't hold back in 
the Nazis calling Clyde a Negro. So they didn't hold back, didn't um, tiptoe around again. They just outright there, got the Negro, we've no respect for you. So that was that was a good element uh, from that side of the story. Well, contextually um, and history, historically, I mean, that that's really how they should have done it, but credit to them for doing that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the Rani side of things, lot, um, very well acted out by, um, let's bring her up there, Amber Beattie as uh, Queen Jane and as uh, and Elizabeth Ryder as Mistress Ellen and Fiona Hampton as Lady Matilda. They, they, that was good cast and good um, thing. And it, it reminded me a lot of um, from last year, um, Joe Lister's story from last year. Uh, which, uh, oh yeah, the mad woman in the attic. If you remember um, how the Eve from that story, and there was a friendship stock up very similar to that in this. And, you know, it was a nice story, and, and, and credit to all that were involved in that. And again, I put my hand up again, although as an Irishman, royal history doesn't interest me that much, but I did, have, did go and have a look and just to see what was the real story behind this nine-day queen that was um, uh, that, that Ronnie was visiting, and just to see what, what, what was going on there, and you know, uh, felt, felt sorry for uh, on that. And then yeah. finally, and Sarah Jane's story, and as Darth was um, alluding to, there was a lot of um, it was very similar to the story of um, some stories that came up in Torchwood. Uh, for example, uh, Cyril Neary's um, character, the shopkeeper and his part. Very similar idea to what Phyllis Manger was doing in Torchwood. You know, a, a man who ran a shop and and had some control of time travel. You know, Phyllis Manger, he, he made a point that he could walk from one time zone to another as easy as he'd walk from one room to another. And also, I just, um, the whole... Um, the way that um, Emily Morris was dressed up, the the character dress now, that, that you know, there was something like you know, that that that, that suggested you know, in another way, she could easily have ended up in Torchwood of time, you know, the way she's so interested in the paranormal activity, and she has this uh, access um, equipment to 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 measure paranormal activity. You know, she, she she came across as somebody who could uh, easily have joined the Torchwood of the era, I thought, anyway. But thankfully, right. uh, it came it came back that she didn't and that she um, had a happy life and, and so on and forth. And one last point I'm going to point in is that um, her granddaughter, her name was Angela Price. Now, that full name, Angela Price, has been used before in Doctor Who. She was, of course, the um, Mrs. Moore from um, in the parallel universe who got uh, killed by the Cybermen uh, with the Doctor. So whether this is the parallel Angela Price or just somebody who coincidentally has the name Angela Price, you know, it's just an interesting point to, to, to speculate among uh, us fans. Okay. Uh, Charlie, do you want to come in here? Uh, sure. Um, yeah, 
again, I like I like this one. I I I dare I say it, it's probably my favorite one of the of the of the series. Um, just you know, yeah, it's, it, it is one of those things where okay, I have to say this, I think about this now. Um, you know, the the the, 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 the probably yeah, the best the strongest stuff for me is probably yeah, the 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 Queen Jane stuff because that again, that's sort of taking a page out of uh, historicals, doing if you know of um, the historical um, page from Doctor Who. Um, and I try to um, just eh, I don't <laughs> I I've kind of lost words. I'll just I just, I just say that I, I really liked it. I don't know why. <laughs> Hello, Dave. Yeah, Dave. Sorry, yeah, go on. <laughs> okay. Get that long stick and. Uh, have I missed, yeah, have I, I, missed I, I, thought, I thought I was being shunned right there. So. No, it's all right. Is it, have I missed anybody else? I was just trying to check back. Mike, uh, there's nothing else we need to add to that. Is there anybody? Okay, let's as we come up to nearly three hours, let's move on to the final two-parter. Um, goodbye, Sarah Jane Smith. My name's Sarah Jane Smith. I'm not an amateur. I don't think you are. I don't care what you think. What's happening is you're not in charge anymore. I am sorry. You are very ill indeed. You've got your secret attic. Welcome to my secret cellar. You are ill. I know you are. Your life essence is delicious. And you're just the start. Once it's consumed, it'll be big enough to absorb many more life essences. Many, many souls at a time. What are you going to do? Well, I'm going to carry on your work. Well, with one big difference. I'll still be tracking aliens from the attic. Yes, but um, I'm going to help them. Help? How? Any way they like. They want more water? Go ahead, drink up. Mineral wealth? That way. Colonize? Oh, take a continent. Destroy the planet. Eventually, yes. What an exciting time humanity will have. No! And I will feed on every drop of their terror. And of course it had, uh, is it Julie Graham from Survivors? Yes. I'm not sure I've seen anything else. Go on, Tim, you're on, Mike. Do you want to go first? Excellent performance of... Julie Graham as a sort of anti-Sarah Jane character who again shows up slightly mysteriously and we're thinking who is this woman how has she got all this technology and uh, this being Sarah Jane she does of course turn out to be um, I can't remember now did she turn out to be some kind of alien well she had a giant stomach in the corner of the blooming cellar (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to remember the dialogue rather than the pictures that's the trouble Brain's still <laughs> not quite weirded after last night's second life activities, but um, no, no, I mean, it's, um, well, not, not a bad idea. Though. And, and in that clip, you did play one of my favourite lines of the the series, where she says, "You've got your secret attic, 
Welcome to my secret cellar. <laughs> kind of summed up her anti-Sarah Jane status. But um, no, it was a nice, um, nice thing t- twisting. I thought it was quite clever that at first you get uh, Mr. Smith diagnosing Sarah Jane as being bravely ill and sort of months from death, and so she decides to disappear off and die somewhere. And um, what what we don't learn at that point is that um, she the only reason she's ill is due to the Julie Graham character. Yeah, I mean she was really good in the part. She, you know, she she deals with the with the characterisation, you know, as as as, w- as she would with any uh, any other part that she's taken. Um, uh, there was some. Again, there's bound to be cliches, I suppose, in Sarah Jane Adventures, uh, because it is a you know aimed at a slightly younger audience. But uh, apart from that silly stomach thing, I wasn't quite sure how it was digesting stuff. Uh, obviously, you're going to be able to buy Christmas green gloop. Uh, well, next it, Christmas it, anyway. It, it, it conveniently had an invisible link to her, or, yeah. or for the vast majority of the time, it was invisible. <laughs> right. Well, it, I don't it, know. It was ever quite to explain what would happen if she got separated by this from this stomach? If someone stuck her on a plane to Australia or America or something? Yeah, and, and that actual pod in space that she escaped from, it would have almost filled that. Cause, I mean, it was only the size of uh, something about ten feet across, wasn't it? That, that was nicely realised, though, and uh, described by um, Clyde as a sort of golf ball. But, but yep. uh, why this thing, clearly not in very high orbit, had not been detected by anyone on Earth, was <laughs> not remotely explained. <laughs> yeah. Any, anybody want to jump in on this one? Uh, I mean, I'm not saying it was a, a bad story at all. I mean, that. Uh, anybody want to go with this one? I've not got that much enthusiasm for it. Well, okay, I'm going to say that. Go on, uh, Scardiff. Yeah, I thought it was a, a good finish to the strong season. Um, the the whole plot of um, Sarah Jane losing the memory. Um, now they they visited sort of Alzheimer's type stuff oh, before. That's probably why I didn't it. like it. <laughs> Sorry. Why <laughs> your memory dropping on you as well sometimes? Is it Dave? It could just now and again. Oh, I forgot to have a drink. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but no, I I thought that um, initially it was nicely um, touched upon, you know, the, the, just the little things like forgetting to close the door, and then it got serious where she says, "Oh, we don't need this lipstick. Oh, we need a gun," and then the gun was like, it "Doesn't work. Where's the sonic lipstick? Oh, oops, I forgot it, and I nearly killed you, and that's why. Okay, I have to stop, and Ruby can take over. So yeah, I thought the whole memory loss thing was um, very well. Uh, dealt with. Another point that uh, I forget was it Darth or was it Mike that made it about uh, back in Death of the Doctor how she um, Ronnie can uh, rely on her parents, to be, or her father rather, to be the the shoulder to cry on and have the the, the right word. Well, this time it was actually her mother that came to the front on that uh, Mina Anwar as Gil Chandra, where it looked like Sarah had left. And once again, Ronnie was facing what, essentially, a, uh, the death of Sarah Jane uh, in her eyes, because she just disappeared off the planet. 
And it was Peter who came up and said, no, that's not Sarah Jane. Sarah Jane yeah. would do that. Me, 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 me. And her son, not telling her son, Luke, that she's doing that. No, that's not right. Something's not right here. And I know you have some sort of, you know, secret club going on. Now, she obviously didn't realize it's alien fighting, but, you know, that there's something special between you, Clyde, and Sarah Jane. And there's no way that the Sarah Jane that I'm aware of would just drop and run with that. So I thought, you know, Gita Chandra, Mina Anwar did very well with that scene, and, and, and that was very nicely done. And then, of course, uh, in episode two, um, Tommy Knight returned. For some reason, he didn't pack uh, K-9 in the car. He left him behind uh, in in Cambridge or wherever. And K-9 then had to try and use whatever laptop or phone or whatever to log in and talk to them and and work and try and get um, Mr. Smith back working for them again. And and, and this uh, out of the control of uh, Mr. White, the uh, PSP version of uh, Mr. Smith. Um, and yeah, just overall, I thought it was a very good story. Now, towards the end, uh, uh, I thought um, Julie Graham started to ham it up a little bit. Overall, it was a good performance, but at the end, when you know the whole "I'll get you back for this, Sarah Jane," and so on and so forth, that started to get a bit hammy towards the end. I, I but it is a kid program; we can you know forgive it a bit. You know that that's. That's you know a bit it got a bit to do where it would I could have gone away with it work for the damn kids, um but you know it is a kids program and again once again oh the stomach didn't do a big blow up but uh, it did um sponge um Clyde in the end and so you know you, at the end you still have to remember uh, it is still aimed at well probably younger than anyone here in the cosmos is uh, at uh, at the moment but. Overall, yeah, I thought it was a strong story, and uh, Garth Roberts and Clayton Hickman did well, and Joss Agnew came back on direction, uh, that was well directed, and yeah, I thought it was a very enjoyable story. Right, let me just add in, because some clever chap called AAC2 has put something in text there. Um, they go around to investigate where they respectively discover that the woman's name is Ruby White and that she's from New Zealand. That was being got a big cheer from Ian, the Sixth Doctor. She explains she was on an archaeological dig where she dredged up Mr. White, that's the device, out of a swamp in New Zealand, another mention. So Jane asks what Ruby is, and she tells her that she is, is that Quitesh? I thought it was Quidditch then for a minute. No, no, Quitesh, I think it was. Quitesh, whose race devours the the souls of humans. I don't know, they're after dreams or after something. They all seem to be... Okay, um, anybody uh, want to volunteer to go next? We've had uh, just a couple. Darth, do you want to go on this one? Is your audio back? I Yeah, I think so. I, is it back? You'll have to tell me. Yeah, it okay. just seemed to disappear yeah, suddenly. I don't think it was a hanging sentence, but that's what you say. Anyway... Yeah, I mean, I think I'd echo a lot of what Scardish just said. I mean, it, 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 Julie Graham was an intriguing and interesting character who, you know, may have occasionally been a little bit over the top, but it was an over-the-topness that we haven't really seen the like of um, in Doctor Who. It wasn't like, I didn't think it was like hammy. It was just, you know, some exaggeration here and there. Um, 
And I, I, for the most part, enjoyed her performance quite a lot, and I thought it was good. You know, I have to tell you, I was... The, the thing that impresses me the most, really, honestly, is that, again, a second Gareth Robert episode and no trickster. I was firmly convinced that in part two, <laughs> somehow, some way, there was going to be a trickster, at least reference. Like, she was going to be a part of the trickster's brigade or something. Oh, yeah. And um, that she wasn't, and that she was just you know, a passing uh, jailbird or whatever was, I thought, great, you know, and a very interesting and new thing coming out of um, Gareth Roberts. Now, that said, a lot of it was just totally silly. The the whole stomach thing, I still don't understand. I don't, it was never mm-hmm. set up how exactly it was to be. I, I mean, I honestly think that was just something put in so that there would be a sting at the end of part one. Oh, look, there's a stomach. Oh, no. And then, you know, cue in credits. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. The fact that it explodes, doesn't that mean that then, therefore, the she Ruby died. would die? Yeah. Would she die without a stomach? No, apparently not. Um, not only that, but, you know, here again, we have magic at the end, and it's, uh, you know, Mr. Smith projecting the image of asteroids falling, and that apparently setting up a whole lot of fear in London, and that fear being reflected back into Ruby, that doesn't really make any sense. Because there would have been fear, there would have been lust, there would have been all sorts of emotions that were running in London anyway. Why wouldn't just the normal progress of life in London have um, elicited in her you know, some sort of negative reaction? And not only that, but the fear, apparently, of all these people fed into Ruby makes the stomach explode and therefore the stomach returns Sarah Jane to herself, returns all of her emotions, returns her identity to herself. So does that mean that all the fear is reflected back on all of the people who had contributed the fear to the stomach in the first place? I don't really understand the dynamics of what was going on. It was never made particularly clear. And at the end of I the day... I think it's just to look gross, I think. I think that's the whole point. I think that's... It. A, yeah, I mean, it, it's very... You know, of the episodes this year, I think in part two of this was the sketchiest on what the hell happened. I don't think that there's there's nothing... Like, you know, we complained in Lost in Time that, you know, in part two there, you've got the guy who's got this case where the the, the thing's already the space is already allotted for the devices that they were looking for. And you can come up with an explanation for why that would be. I don't think that there's any explanation for this stomach. Cause we're, we don't know what, how the hell it's operating. It's just sapping her of herself. It, it's weird. So I, I, I think it's fairly weak. Um, certainly part two. I think that there's some interesting character work. I think that, I don't think that, you know, there are a lot of people online who are saying, oh my God, Elizabeth Sladen is just the best actor ever for her, you know, affectation of dementia in episode one. But I don't, it's not that good. It's, it's interesting. just blank face, just blank face. Right, you know, it's interesting. It, it gets the point across, but it's not the best acting job in the world. Um so it, you know, it makes the point. But there's, you know, there's some decent lines there, and I certainly agree with Scardus and, you know, 
getting more Gita into the show and getting Gita in in a way that's not comic. Because, of course, they're going to use Gita uh, or that actor uh, in a comic way because that's her background. But it's good to have her in sort of a um, parental role again. Sporty, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, I don't think that... I'm, I'm so disappointed with Phil Ford and his amnesia trick at the end of Vault of Secrets in keeping her out of the loop because the, the glory of series one was you had this gradual thing where eventually the father becomes aware that, you know, there is this life that's going on in Sarah Jane's house and he becomes a part of the team. He becomes essentially the father figure of the team. And you don't really have that going on with, um, Ronnie's parents yet, but you do have them, you know, at least now being support, at least acting like real parents instead of just, you know, comic relief all the time. So that's good. Um, I don't know. It, it's, it's to me, it's not as good as la- I, I like the gift a whole lot better as a as a series finale because I thought that was a much tighter story than this. And I'm sorry, Dave, I'm cutting you off. No, that's okay. Uh, I just noticed uh, something. But one thing I'd add, uh, because it's a children's series, they can't do like what Smallville does, have everybody's life in tatters and leave you hanging for six months until the next series starts. They always have to finish with everybody safe and sound and roll call. Uh, Tim, do you want to say anything else then before you have to drop off? Um, And then we'll go to Romana and Charlie. Other than to summarise by saying it's probably particularly in acting terms, been the best series of Sarah Jane adventures yet. And I greatly look forward to the next one. It's we have yeah. to wait so long, really. And that but, has definitely um, been confirmed, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, well, as, as Series 3 is the only one I've yet to get on video, I'm making sure someone at least gets me that for Christmas. So I'll be <laughs> able to, to tie up the show. There's something I want to see on TV that starts in 10 minutes. So uh, bye all. Okay, cheers. Uh, and we've I'll, uh, we've got Mike in the room, and I'll ask him last. Uh, Romana and Charlie, who'd like to go next? I'll go. Um, th- yeah, this one for me, I think, is probably middle-of-the-road episode. It's one of those... Uh, I, I think probably the best thing about this, this story was Ju- Julie Graham's performance as Ruby, because as, she starts off as a... Um, I mean, when she starts the character, I I I bought it that she was sort of a rival, and 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 the, the her 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 acting when they when they barge in her house and she says, you know, "Who are you? What are you doing here?" It, it, it was it was it was sort of genuine. Um, it, she she did generally come off as being sort of you know, you know, you know, I'm here and you know, I'm the new you know, you, I'm the new Sarah Jane Smith and. Um, but gradually, you know, gradually when the, when the, you you notice that uh, Sarah Jane's uh, memory was fading, and then and uh, Ruby was gaining popularity, yeah, you, you know, I, you know that she's gonna turn bad. But I'm, you know, and you know she did that whole bit when she was smirking when she was uh, when Sarah was giving her power over um, Mr. Smith. She and they were doing sort of the the, the uh, chain of command kind of thing when they're when they're transferring power, but. Yeah, I mean, like I said, the, the story is very mediocre, very pedestrian. But um, yeah, I really like, and I don't think again, agreeing with Darth, I don't think she, she came off as being hammy. I thought she was, you know, it was very, it was a very multi-layered performance. Hell, she she would switch even that bit at the end when when uh, Ronnie and uh, came up 
and they were doing that hug kind of thing. I, and she was, and she, she was uh, switched back from being evil to uh, being, uh, you know, uh, uh, heartwarming. Yeah, but, I, yeah. I, I I think sometimes that's the 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 problem of the writers here. They're not sure whether they want to leave it open for a character to come back or not. So right. you have to sort of like, I'll get you, Sarah Jane Smith, sort of thing. <laughs> you know. Can we move very quickly to Romana? Because uh, I'd like to just get her thoughts on this one before uh, she drifts off into uh, oblivion. Romana, do you want to have a quick comment on this? Um. Yeah, I'll keep this relatively short and sweet because um, this is the most recent one I watched. I literally watched this at like 2 in the morning last night. Um. But, you yeah, know, it was enjoyable, but again, it's just not really, I just don't really have anything to say about it other than what's already been said. I pretty much agree with what, what Scardis and Darth have both said um, in regards to that. If, looking back at it now, it doesn't make a whole... I guess I wasn't really paying... Like, like I always do, I never really pay attention to the plot, um, which is probably not a good thing sometimes, but I always watch you know, the characters mainly, and I thought... Gita coming into it as an actual parent and not just an annoying comic relief was good, a good improvement, and I hope that stays. Um, and and yeah, just, um, what's her name? Um, I have been drifting out. What's the, the actress's name who played um, Ruby again? It's the it's the woman out of Survivors. Um, really great. I haven't seen Survivors. Oh right. Oh. Well, of course, yeah. that got cancelled before it really ended its run properly. But it's on my that, watch list. But yeah, her, she was, she was, she was really good. I thought, and um, and just overall, I thought it was a good episode. But again, it's just not hugely. I wouldn't call it. Well, let, let me ask you one question before before you completely collapse. Would you prefer yeah. in Sarah Jane Adventures for them to have the episode with the doctrine? The, at the end of the series, as a cli- you know, to build up to a climax, uh, do, you pref- do you think it's probably better that they do it where the Doctor's not, you know, not seen to be carrying the show and it, it stands or falls mm-hmm. on its own? I think they should leave the Doctor out of it from now on. In all honesty, I think it it was good to have it, but you know, last year and this year, but I don't think they should do it again, at least for another two seasons, because again, until like we have another Doctor. Again, like the Daleks, it gets tiresome, basically. And you really want this show... I really think Sarah Jane should um, stand up on its own two feet. Um, because it can, it, could be, it can be a great show, but they just need to unleash its potential, I think. Um, and, yeah. Which I think leaving the Doctor out of it will do a world of good. I mean, she'll reference him every now and then, but don't have to come back every season. Um, just like, you know, the Daleks. But um, you know, yeah. as far as Sarah Jane finales yeah. go, it was okay. I mean, again, I don't get that confused about Sarah Jane. So you know, unless you know, it's, I really love the story. It's, it's all got, it's all pretty much oh, it was good. But you know, I, I, I think it, yeah, you're quite right. Mm-hmm. Sarah Jane is 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 stable thing it seems to work quite well first of it's had uh, you know the 10 story uh, 10 episodes five stories now it's on mm. 12 episodes six stories uh, and I, I don't really think it should run any longer in a sense uh, uh, i think it, it works very well at that okay well i'm just going to go to mike although i know he's only seen one of these episodes uh, but uh, mike um 
from listening to people, are you going to catch the other episodes or is it a time constraint or what? Any thoughts? Oh, we've, we've lost his audio, haven't we? Sorry, I've just checked down uh, for the... He's had to drop off audio. So, um, basically, I think we should... Uh, at three hours, ten minutes, we should probably bring this to a close. Romana, because okay. you're on, do you want to have one mm-hmm. final comment before we end the show? Um, well, I'll probably say that... Um, me, I probably enjoyed this series more than past series. I think... Um, I think Clyde and Rani are finally growing on me. It's only taken how long. Um, but all in all, I think um, it was a good it was a good season. Um, but again, Sarah Jane's just not one of my things. I mean, you know, I'll watch it. I'll enjoy it. But it's not one of my things in the universe that I go mental for, like the other two shows, for example. So, um, but yeah, no, it's a good season and hope to see it get better. Um, it's... It does not necessarily have to get bigger every year, um, but but just keep going and keep improving the characters and and you know give Darcy's wish and put uh, and put Clyde and Riley together. Obviously, there's they, it needs to happen already. It's just starting. It's like it's like the Harry Potter situation. It's just, it's just you're waiting and waiting and waiting for it, and it's just going to drive you crazy at the end. Um, so yeah. Okay. Right. Uh, I'll go very quickly around the room and say, well, thank you very much, Romana. Uh, That was great. Um, I'm going to ask each person just to say cheerio, and if they've got one last thing they've just remembered, then add it in at this point. So, uh, Scardis, uh, thank you for joining us today. Any last comments before we drop off? Yeah, no, that was great to join you guys. I will just say to this that overall, I thought the Sergey Adventures Series 4 was a great you know, filler uh, between last Doctor Who series and the upcoming Christmas special. It certainly helped strengthen what has been overall a very, very strong year for the Doctor Who community in general uh, this year, 2010, with the new Doctor. This is a very strong Sarah Jane Inventor series that kept it going. And, yep, I'm very happy with what we've had so far. Well, thanks for your input. That's been great. Uh, Charlie P, 79? Um, no, I don't think I really have much to add. Just to say, you know, have a good uh, birthday tomorrow, Dave. Ah, thank you very much. Well, it's already tomorrow where uh, Romana is, oh. but uh, thank you indeed. Yep. Uh, uh, Darth Skeptical? Um, yeah, I mean, I was just saying this has probably been the best series of Sarah Jane Adventures that involves Ronnie. It's still nowhere close to the initial format and promise of Series 1. But this has been a highly competent series. I'm very chuffed that there was, you know, never any trickster, that Gareth Roberts was trying to do something different the whole way through um, with his two episodes. I'm basically happy with this story. There's a lot that you can still sort of criticize because it is a kid's show, because they're not really trying to think through all of the logic of the scripts. Um, But all in all, it was definitely the second most enjoyable series of the Sarah Jane Adventures. Yeah. One thing I have uh, a thought of is that, yeah, I mean, you've, we've already commented a few times on how uh, the, the actors uh, are playing these young people uh, that they're obviously developing. Um, how much longer can they go? I mean, one would have thought a few years ago, Sarah Jane is perhaps untypically an older lady 
playing the lead. But in actual fact, because this is a children program and the children need to identify with the younger cast, you could almost argue that the younger cast will get too old before Sarah Jane gets too old, if that's making any sense to anybody. You know, I mean, you have the feeling that uh, that um, uh, Sarah Jane as a character can survive at least two or three more years, but could uh, Clive and Rani last two or three more years, and will they be distinctly I, looking too old? I, I, I don't think it. that's a problem. Yeah, I doubt it too, because I mean, well, I think... They at one point, Luke off the uni already, so they're going to once you know Clyde and Riley finish. Right, but they've got I mean, the same what, problem as haven't they got the same problem with Harry Potter? You know, the, the, you know they're, they're not telling stories of fourteen, fifteen, sixteen-year-old kids having innocent adventures. They're going to be talking about young adults exploring not not necessarily adult themes, but they, they obviously can't be playing jokes on each other and being petty and childish. Anyway, perhaps it's too late to open that can of worms at this stage. Let's enjoy it while we can. That's the point. Um, okay, well, that's all the people on audio, but we've had a, a lot of people in the room. Mike has dropped off on audio, which is uh, a little bit awkward for him. Uh, we've also had, uh, joining the show all the way to making comments, Merlin, uh, Aloran, IDIC, we had Hillbilly Jack, we had Graham before, we had Tim before, we had Benjamin before. Uh, we've had uh, guests 8 through to 15 through the course of the show. Thank you all very much. Just one last uh, little job to do. Hi, Bob. Uh, uh, and that is to just remind people that we are not doing Merlin next week. There are two more episodes of Merlin to run here in the UK. So I've done a switcheroo so that episode 74 next week is when dinosaurs rule the box office. That's the 28th of November. Uh, uh, then episode 75 stays as it was. Sci-fi and fantasy role models. Uh, that's on the 5th of December. And it will be now episode 76 when we discuss Merlin series 3 on the 12th of December. And then uh, episode 77, the last one before Christmas, is Doctor Who. Yes, and I know he's not called Doctor Who. He's called the, he's the Doctor. But Doctor Who, this is your life. What do we know? What can we glean from the Doctor? What little gems have we got from uh, the various incarnations? And we'll try, if we can... To do that, uh, you know, what did we learn about the Doctor from the first Doctor? What did we learn about the Doctor from the second Doctor? And Doctor, and to try and do it sequentially, if we may. And as I said, that Mike's managed to get back on audio to say his goodbyes. I'll take a few episodes, actually. Well, uh, our three hours. <laughs> well, we don't know all that much about the Doctor, but let's not preempt that show. Hopefully, that will be a nice way of finishing it. Oh, and by the way, look out for some nice little Christmas bonus episodes coming your way. One away, one a week, midweek. The first one to be just before Thanksgiving in the in the United States. So, Mike, any closing thoughts before our players out? Uh, no, just uh, that I look forward to next week's episode, and especially for those uh, Christmas gifts because they're rather neat. <laughs> 
Yes, and for those of pe- people who are missing Ian the Sixth Doctor, uh, hopefully he might pop in for one of the episodes between now and Christmas, but you'll definitely hear him on those treats. Uh, and of course, Mike Randall Thor is ably helping us on those. So there's no more thing to say than uh, with what is coming up to very nearly our longest episode. Uh, thank you very much for staying with us and I'm going to play us out and we're just going to cut under our longest episode. Bye all. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.